Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson. Karlsson, 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 Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys whose IRs are bursting wider than Lewis's pants in that last Thanksgiving episode. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, to discuss all of the injuries from around the NHL, and spoiler, there are quite a few of them, is my very good friend, the fantasy hockey robot, Brian Come. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Yes, today we are talking about guys who are hurt. But when one door closes, another door opens. I guess these aren't two separate doors. It's just like a door closes on one guy. He can't play. And then a separate door opens. Anyway, it's going to be really fun to go through the entire league, all 31 teams, and find out who gets to benefit from somebody missing some time. Yeah, and Brian says all 31 teams. 32 teams. Because we're going to skip Arizona, because they seem (laughs) fine. But yeah, (laughs) I believe this saying also has to do with a window. I thought like a door closes and a window opens or something. But anyways, maybe uh, people can tweet at us and uh, give us a fact check there. (laughs) With their favorite uh, motivational opportunity uh, mottos. Yeah. And of course, as we're going through the league, if there happens to be a hot streak or cold streak, we could stop down for a second. But the general plan is this is going to be the Everybody Hurts episode where we're all just going to cry about what's been a really, to me, weird week of fantasy hockey. Maybe you're going to tell me that it's just like because it's my players that are getting injured, so I'm feeling it more than usual. But it just seems like every day, it's like everyone, someone's on a COVID protocol. There's people getting sick that are not even, it's like non-COVID illness is happening more than I feel like I ever remember. Uh, maybe it's because it's flu season. I don't know what's going on, but it's like everyone seems to be hurt. But okay, before we get to that, we got a couple pieces of business to get to. Okay, first of all, Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Okay. Second of all, this episode of Keeping Carlson is presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the world. It's really the best place to go for all the great articles about everything going on in the league every single day. They really do a great job. They have the smartest writers there. I really like the team at Dauber Hockey. Plus, the tools at Frozen Tools cannot be matched. I use them to prep the show and to strategize for my leagues all the time. So that's DauberHockey.com. Number two, Brian, uh, we promised that anyone who left us a five-star review with a comment over the last month was going to be entered into a Michael Roffle for a cool piece of Keeping Carlson merch. And the month of November is over, which means it's time for the draw. So I've got all the reviews here. Brian, can you please type into Google a uh, random number between 1 and 210? That's going to point me to a row in my spreadsheet, and we're going to find out who wins the raffle and wins the cool piece of Keeping Carlson merch. Okay, I'm typing really loudly so everybody can hear that that this is for real. Uh Uh-huh. And I hit enter, and uh, the problem is that Google is not my default search engine, so let me do it again, and the number is 32. 32. Okay, let me bring this up right here. 
All right, so B Man three two three two three two three two left us a really nice review, uh, saying "Energy with a capital E, best cure for my Monday blues." Is listening to the KK Pod. Brian and Elon bring the energy every week. Their insight has guided me through the tough decisions I've had to make as a fantasy manager from draft. Thank you so much, Brian. Like this is a really nice review. We super appreciate it. It goes on with platitudes that we appreciate, and we are going to send you a cool piece of Keeping Carlson merch. So uh, if you're listening to this, we don't know who you are. But uh, you left us a review on November 29th and uh, tweeted us. Tell us I'm B-Man32323232232 and then we'll uh, get in contact and, and send you your piece of merch. Congratulations. I like that you called him Brian or you called them Brian. Uh, like, I, I'm not sure if you even noticed. Just so you know, this wasn't me. B-Man32323232 Did is I? not yeah, my alias. That <laughs> That's yeah, funny. Just, just very subconsciously. So uh, thanks a lot, B-Man32323232. 32 is my new favorite number. It, what a coincidence that B-Man32323232 was also <laughs> okay. number 32 on the spreadsheet. Some, oh, some, yeah, that some is Some numerologist wild. needs to get in on this. How did that happen? Okay, now I want... Okay, that is odd. <laughs> but okay. Uh, yeah, and thanks, to, of course, to everyone who left us a five-star review. We really appreciate it. And even if you uh, missed the deadline for our contest, it still wouldn't uh, hurt our feelings if you decided to still leave us a five-star review. Helps uh, the show. But okay, let's go and start earning those reviews. Uh, before we start going through every single team, Brian, I just wanted to discuss really quick like some general strategies in this era. Like, this is not going away anytime soon. I think this era of random COVID protocol enterings and general injuries it just seems like injuries are becoming a bigger and bigger part of fantasy hockey again if you're listening you disagree with me let me know but just to me it feels that way i'm starting to think that i need to change the way i play because you know like i listen to the stream scheme by dave betton looking at the schedule for the next week i do my own analysis of the schedule and try to come up with my plan of how i'm going to use my moves and you know sometimes it works out that like i want to maybe add a couple guys you know if i have four moves per week like we have in a couple usually i want to make a couple right away of players who have really good schedules you know all of these kind of uh, thoughts in your head but the problem is you you need to apparently take into account the fact that you're going to get hit like just random people are throwing like bowling pins at you in the like while you're trying to walk across the I don't know I'm trying to come up with an analogy here I was thinking Banana Peels Mario Kart (laughs) would be such an easy analogy here (laughs) maybe I'm thinking of a new video game that hasn't been invented yet Uh, but yeah I mean I'm starting to wonder because like I'll tell you what happened to me this week in the kerfuffle I used three ads by Thursday I thought that was fine I set myself up how i wanted to for the rest of the week against ben who by the way i'm gonna lose to congratulations ben uh then i suffered uh my fourth injury i already had barkov giordano d'angelo in my ir then kemper was announced uh that he was gonna you know miss the game so i was like oh so i stashed him uh, i actually had to drop uh ben bishop to clear an ir spot so fine i, I wasn't pl- who knows if he's ever gonna play again anyway so whatever i stashed kemper i added alex i follow i saw he had a good schedule then like the next day justin falk went on the covid protocol now i like have five injured players i have no more moves left even if i wanted to drop someone from ir then all of a sudden and again brian i or not again but like i happen to be on a team where i could really use another goalie then all of a sudden the next day, like, binnington covid protocol just injured and it's like i could have used a goalie i saw the news right away i could have gone and added huso or georgiev and we'll talk about both of them throughout this show but i was out of moves so it was like a total fail of a week for me i feel 
like I really blew it by using up my moves. So I just feel like moving forward, at least to tell you my plan, is I think I'm going to have to think harder about I need to save moves. Even if I think through my strategy for the week and think I'm not going to need any more moves, I feel like you just need to save it because you have to assume you're going to get hit with an injury. And if you don't, then, you know, Mazel Tov and you could use your extra move on Sunday if you need to stream or plan for next week. But I'm really starting to feel like you need to conserve those moves for injuries, which stinks. I don't like it, but it seems like that's the way the world is now. And you're saying this is more than before that you have to do this. And I I think you're right. I actually also burned a lot of my moves early this week because I found, I mean, when to use your moves is a whole other strategic point of fantasy. And I feel like so far this season, I haven't quite nailed it. I'm either making moves that are too long-term when I actually have a chance short-term to to really make a difference in my week, or I'm making moves too short-term that then bite me long-term. It's like, well, why didn't I just add that guy and not worry about what the next, like, one extra game played from Joe Schmo would do for my fantasy team? So, like, finding that balance of exactly when and how to use your moves is really tough, because the longer you wait in the week to use those moves, the fewer games you can usually add to your roster. Um, But like you're saying, Elon, I used all my moves early this week, and I found myself on the outside looking in on a couple ads that I would have liked to make for a week or two out. In fact, I used my last move, um, my only one that was left, to add Sonny Milano off of waivers, which like he wasn't going to play a game for me this week, but I had to look longer term. And I'm not sure if that's overcorrecting for mistakes I felt I made about not looking long term enough in how I used my weekly moves. But we're all trying to find that exact right balance. So if you have a strategic tip for how you like to use your moves or when you find yourself using them, we're, uh, we're interested in hearing at Keeping Carlson. Yeah, because I guess you're right, Brian. It's not only a matter of, you know, making sure that you have the acquisitions available for if you're hit with an injury, you also maybe just want to keep yourself available to potentially take advantage of another injury that happens where there's a player who benefits one of those doors opens, like you said. Uh, By the way, that's really great that you got Sonny Milano. I feel like I already said like five shows in a row that people should be adding Sonny Milano. So the fact that you're able to get him so late after he's got like 18 points the last 18 games or whatever it is, like congratulations. I think you're going to be holding him all season and you did a great job. But okay, Speaking of Sonny Milano, let's get started. We're going to go through the league uh, alphabetically, and we're just going to talk about the injuries on all the teams, because pretty much every team has big injuries. We'll talk about the impacts. So starting in Anaheim, Ryan Getzlaff was injured on Tuesday versus LA. He's week-to-week with an LBI. He just was put on the IR. Uh, Adam Henrique was out with his own injury, but he actually returned on Friday. But then he went down with a different injury. He had an upper body injury. Then he went down on Friday with a lower body injury. We don't have an update as of now, so I don't know how long it's going to be for Henrique. Getzlaff's going to be out a little while. Uh, Probably, I'd imagine, not great news for Troy Terry. Those are the two guys that Terry was playing with for that whole amazing point streak that started the season. So now Terry's got, uh, I guess, all new line mates. It was Sam Steele who jumped up to center Terry and Henrique on Friday uh, with the hotline of Zgras, Milano, and Raquel sticking together. But then I'm seeing on Frozen Tools at the end of the game, I guess after uh, Henrique got injured, then Ricard Raquel moved to play with Terry and Steele, which if that sticks will lead to Milano and Zgras in search of a new winger. I'm just guessing like maybe Silverberg gets back in the top six for this. So obviously we'll have to wait and see what the lines are. A lot of people don't realize that we have this at Game Day Lines Twitter account. We also have the website, gamedaylinetweets.com, where you can keep track of the lines for each team. But we don't have updated lines for Anaheim yet. I'm sure they'll skate on Monday. Uh, so yeah, we need to see how the lines will shake out. But I'm curious, Brian, 
uh, like with Getzlaff out, potentially Henrique out, should we be worried about Troy Terry? Like, yeah, he has two goals in his last three games. So that's good. He had another good week. And that was with Getzlaff not there for a lot of it. Uh, obviously, you could look at it in terms of like Troy Terry's so great that now like we should be getting excited about Sam Steele, especially since Anaheim plays five games next week, which is maybe a big headline, we should say. So the fact that you got Sonny Milano is even more crazy and awesome that you're able to get him for a big week. But yeah, so like how big of an impact will this Getzlaff injury have in terms of hurting Troy Terry and benefiting Sam Steele, who's looking like he's going to be the new center for Troy Terry. Well, Sam Steele uh, is one name in a long line of ducks that we've been waiting for to do something, right? Sam Steele and Troy Terry and Max Comtois have all been names we've been watching for the last couple seasons. And I actually, you know, referenced Troy Terry earlier in the season as someone, when you're talking about Trevor Zegras, another duck who were who we were getting excited about at the time. It's like, well, we've been waiting on Troy Terry. Nothing's happened. So now, yeah, it's Sam Steele's chance to do something and playing with Troy Terry should put him in a pretty good spot. You know, we're still trying to tease apart exactly what it is that Troy Terry is doing himself to make good things happen offensively for his line and how much uh, of of their success belongs to him and how much belongs to Getzlaff and how much belongs to Henrique. And actually just zeroing in on Troy Terry's production, because I don't think we've gotten specific about him in a, at least a few weeks. So right now he's actually on this funny little run where he has four goals and no assists in his last eight games. So if Troy Terry isn't scoring... Troy Terry isn't pointing, uh, but he has those four goals on 15 shots, which obviously, you know, is uh, like that's just a couple shots, uh, less than a couple shots per game. And four goals on those is a little high. So, you know, I'm, I'm I, I don't know. Am I the only one feeling a little concerned that Troy Terry isn't picking up any assists? We knew a slowdown was coming, so I'm not like alarmed, but I am still curious about exactly what Troy Terry's production looks like when all things are normal. I mean, the thing is, you're Troy Terry, you're not going to get to assist on many Ryan Getzlaff goals. Playing with Getzlaff is very much a one-way street, right? In which direction the puck is going from passer to shooter with Getzlaff being the passer 9.5 times out of 10. Uh, you know, and the same goes for Henrik, who doesn't score a lot of goals either. Uh, but good for Terry because he's the one who's cleaning up on his line. He's on pace. Did you know, Elon, he's, Troy Terry is on pace for 51 goals, 15 right. goals in 24 games. It's having a good year. <laughs> yeah, it's been amazing. Uh, but obviously, like as we've said, he's having a really good year. We can't expect it to be so good. Troy Terry, I think, is scoring on at least twice as many shots as we would expect him to. Of course, we know this. We're not mad at him for it. Still feels like a solid 60-point guy to me. But just to go back to your question now and zoom back out, are we worried about Troy Terry losing his line mates? I can tell you that even with Ryan Getzlaff and Adam Henrique, Troy Terry's line was on like this two-week stretch of seeing some of its most challenging five-on-five opposition of the season. Like we're seeing declining shot share, declining expected goal share. And I guess that's what happens when other teams know that the Troy Terry line is the one that they need to start scouting and making and game planning for. So even with Troy Terry's usual line mates and Getzlaff and Henrique, we were starting to see that line start to come back down to earth. Uh, and we're looking for a takeaway implication here. I mean, I, I think Getzlaff is playing well. And I think it's bad for Troy Terry to lose him as a really strong setup man, because Terry has been an amazing finisher. Henrik is a guy who I think is like reasonably replaceable. He gets the job done, but he never really excites me. And I think he has some flaws in his game that might wash out whatever of the positives he offers. So we'll see if he's out at all, it'd be good, I think, just for stability for him still to be around with Troy Terry. And Sam Steele, 
We'll see. I think he makes, you know, if you're, we, we say, I think, feel like we've said this on so many episodes. If you've missed out on Trevor Zegras and Troy Terry, and then we added Sonny Milano to the list. Uh, and now I think we should add Sam Steele to the list. Uh, the Ducks play five times this week, including twice Monday, Tuesday to kick things off. That's not a bad time to at least see what Sam Steele has to offer. And maybe he's a quick add and a quick drop, or maybe he and Terry click for a bit because gets off week to week. So Terry is looking like Terry's line needs that third piece or maybe second piece if Henrique is out longer. Why not take a chance on Sam Steele? Because at this point, Troy Terry has become the kind of player that you want guys who play with him. Yeah, so there you go. So like you say, Brian, it seems like a reasonable opportunity to grab Sam Steele at the same time. Now I'm starting to get scared about using too many ads early on. So you got to weigh the pros and cons there, but it could be something for sure. And by the way, I'll just repeat, like I've been doing every week about Milano. It's like Trevor Zegras. That's the one who's like amazing. And it's Milano obviously benefiting. No, no shade. Like I'm sure Milano is like helping a lot, but Trevor Zegras is just showing himself to be so great. He's got 14 points in his last 10 games now, almost at a 70 point pace on the season. His shots are wild. Like Raquel and Milano playing with him. So, like, they're exciting to me. Uh, at this point, Brian, I'm just going to say it. If I had a choice right now for the rest of the year, Zgrass or Troy Terry, I'd take Zgrass. And I know you're saying Cherry's on a 50-goal pace, but I'm just, like, totally on this Trevor Zgrass train at this now. He's, to me, my favorite duck, the one I would want over anyone else. It's really funny because I talked about Troy Terry being this goals machine with no assists, and Zgrass is the flip side of that. Zgrass has nine assists in his last seven games, no goals, even though, but here's here's the upshot. Zgras has no goals on 23 shots in his last five games. So Zgras is averaging almost five shots a game. I think that's thanks to, especially to one monster eight-shot game he had. But that's great to get eight shots in an NHL game. So, uh, you know, the, not just anybody does that. And Zgras has been shooting consistently on a pretty regular basis. So he looks pretty good to me. I, I think Zgras I'd have at least even with Terry. I don't know that I have, like, you want me to try and pick between them. I I guess maybe I'll lean Zgras because I feel like Terry without someone to set him up like Getzlaff might end up being a little lost and Zgras seems to be able to to drive play himself. Seems to. You know, I haven't found any, it's kind of like a hunch I'm going on. Um, But both Zgras and Terry look good. If I had to pick one rest of the season, I I might lean ever so slightly to Zgras, but I think it's really close between them. I think if you've got Terry and you can make a trade for Zgrass, you do it. But like, again, Brian obviously uh, thinks it's uh, really close and probably you should listen to Brian. But okay, we'll uh, see how many other things we have slight disagreements on or not as we go through the show. So Arizona, like I said, they seem fine. No big injuries. So we'll see how they do moving forward. But let's move on to Boston. So they're also looking okay. Like Charlie McAvoy was a late scratch on Saturday with a non-COVID illness. A lot of these going around, like I said. Uh, So he'll probably be fine. Managers actually get a convenient stash, right? The Bruins don't play until Wednesday. So now you get to stash McAvoy in your IR, grab Sam Steele for Monday, Tuesday, then drop Steele for McAvoy. There you go. Get him on Wednesday. Hopefully he'll be back by then. Uh, So I would hold off on your rush ads of like Mike Riley or Matt Grizzly. Like I could dig into like who was on the power play with McAvoy, but who cares? I think he's going to be back. Uh, Reminder that Brad Marchand will also be back on Wednesday after serving that three-game suspension for slew-footing Oliver Ekman-Larsen. Let's summarize what Taylor Hall did in the meantime because we were all like, okay, this is a great opportunity for Taylor Hall to take Marchand's spot on line one and power play one. How did he do? He had one 
assist. One power play assist in three games, uh, four shots in each of those games. So that's good. Like he was shooting, nothing went in. I'm sure if he had a goal on one of those 12 shots, we'd maybe be telling a bit of a different story. But at this point, it just feels like my. So Taylor Hall continues his disappointing season, not even a blip when Marshawn was out and he got better deployment. Uh, Hall's now at 11 points in 21 games, uh, which is like of what, a 40 something point pace, not even high 40s, low 40s point pace. Uh, now he's back to playing with Coyle and, and Craig Smith. I'm sure he's going to be off the top power play because Felino's there in the net front. So, uh, yeah, back to me being, like, totally bored by Taylor Hall. Yeah, we're both very bored by Taylor Hall. I added him in one league just to see what he could do, and it's a limited moves for the yearly. I'm just like, okay, I don't know how much bang I'll get for this move by the end of the season, so I'll see what Hall does. And like you said, he didn't do much, even with increased deployment. Taylor Hall is is still a snoozer in a lot of formats. Like, I, I will say... He's not quite as bad as he looks. Like, Hall isn't even shooting 2.5%, which is a third of what we'd reasonably expect for him to shoot. He's usually in the 7.5-8% range, and his points participation is low. It's just 45% at 5 on 5. That's a shadow of what we'd normally expect. It's crazy that Taylor Hall is playing on, like, a second line, and he's not even involved on more than half of the goals they're scoring. So something is strange. And I, I think it's, I'm still giving Hall the benefit of the doubt. I'm thinking it's variance. His on-eye shooting percentage is also below 6%. So not a lot of goals are going in. Uh, not a lot of shots are going in while Hall is on the ice. So this is all to say, not that I think Hall is amazing and incredible and has a lot of dormant, exciting value. Just to say, I don't think Hall is this 43-point pace player he's been so far through the season. But I totally agree with you, Elon, that in this limited role, like Taylor Hall is seeing two minutes per night less at five on five compared to last season. He's seeing less power play time. 55 points seems like all I feel I can reasonably expect from Taylor Hall. He's still playing well. But he's not in a spotlight role, and that's just going to put a limit on exactly what he's able to accomplish. Yeah, and like 55 points, but it's like there's, you know, there's different types of 55 points, right? Like maybe he'll be a steady, get you up to 55 points, but like that ceiling isn't there. You know, even like a Sonny Milano, who obviously isn't the towel that Taylor Hall is, at least it's exciting and he's going to have potential for like big multi-point games because he's playing with, you know, Zgrass and he's like shown this year that he's gone on good runs. Like I take him over Taylor Hall at this point. So just to say, like, unless you just want to be super steady and boring and never make any moves, a super limited moves league and you already have Hall, I guess hold on. But otherwise, yeah, just like to me, it's like there's no upside there. So what's the point of holding someone that'll just maybe get you a point every two games or three uh Okay, let's go to Hall's former team, Buffalo, which is like a very disappointing situation for them with their goalies, right? So Craig Anderson is still month to month with his lingering upper body injury. Uh, then Dustin Tokarski had a few good games, a bunch of bad games. Uh, now he's on the COVID protocol as of Thursday. So the Sabres traded to Chicago some future considerations to get Malcolm Subban, and he got the game versus Carolina on Saturday where he was terrible. He stopped only 19 of 25 shots, and then he got injured. So this team that went into the season with arguably the worst goaltending in the league is somehow even like we already expected them to be bad with their goalies. They're now down to their fourth stringer, I guess, in Aaron Dell, who's been totally brutal himself in his seven appearances. He's 0-5 with a 4.52 GAA, 8.72 save percentage. So I guess at this point, Uko Pekka Lukanen will get called up from the minors. Not that he's been having a good season himself. He has an 8.88 save percentage in 12 games with the Rochester Americans so far in the AHL. Uh, so Brian, would you have the guts? Let's say you need a game from a goalie and you see that UPL is slated to get a start for the Sabres. You know, they play next versus Anaheim on Tuesday. Let's say you need a goalie on Tuesday. You have an open spot. Are you streaming in Uka Pekka Lukanen for that game? 
or are you thinking that you're going to get blown up like Carter Hart did today against Tampa? Ask yourself, would you have started Dustin Tokarski? And that's your answer for whether you'd start Ukopekalukunin. I I will at least add some context that Buffalo, I don't think is the problem here. I think it's been their goalies. So we'll see if Lukunin is the problem or if he can keep up with the team that is providing reasonably good defense. If you're not familiar with UPL uh, and you're wondering who he is, uh, he did show up uh, for his first four games of NHL action last year, had a 906 save percentage and four starts, but only one of those four starts were quality starts, which is not a great mark. That means he blew you up or hurt you in some way in three of the four starts that Lukanen got. You know, and like I said, it's not even tough sledding as a Buffalo goalie. That's not the reason to be worried about Lukanen. Buffalo looks average defensively, mid-pack. As a team on the whole, they just have no good goalies. What they are succeeding in doing in Buffalo is they're making a goalie graveyard of guys that you, like maybe I'm talking specifically to you, Elon, once hoped may amount to something. You've got Aaron Dell, you've got Tukarski, you've got Malcolm Subban, who also just arrived. So I'm not going to totally throw him under the bus, but I've also never thought that Malcolm Subban, from what we've seen, is a goalie at the NHL level, maybe a backup, but I'm not even sure he's that. And the thing with UPL is we don't know who he is yet. But Buffalo, I think, believe it or not, I know this doesn't go with the reputation, but I think the Sabres will give any of their goalies a decent shot to succeed. So I'm going to try out Uko Pekalukunen if I don't have too much to lose. I, of course, Buffalo isn't great. And they're not going to offer much run support. So wins are going to be hard to come by if that's what you're chasing. But I'm not ruling out the possibility that a goalie in Buffalo can put up half-decent numbers playing behind the defense that the Sabres are providing. And that's why if you're feeling up for the risk that's inherent in starting a guy who's had a bad year in the AHL and has no NHL track record, then you can go ahead and take a chance on Uko Pekalukunen. Yeah, I guess so. I know people have talked about him as this like prospect that they're somewhat excited about. But yeah, not a great situation. But if you need a goalie, there you go. There's a name from the Keeping Carlson guys telling you this is a goalie that might get some starts over the next week, especially if Tokarski stays in the COVID protocol for long. Uh, since we're on Buffalo, you brought up how they're not giving you much run support. When they are giving run support, it's often been Jeff Skinner who's been scoring. He's I'm going to mea culpa right here. Like I believe last year I used to make fun of you every time you'd mention him. And I'd be like, this guy stinks. Get over it, Brian. Like stop trying to make Jeff Skinner happen, just like Ben tried to make fun of Lewis in the last short shift, saying that he's trying to make Kyle Poso happen, and we'll get to him in just a sec. But Skinner's been great. He's got three goals and three assists in his last five games. He's taking three-plus shots in most of his games lately. He's on the top line and top power play with Thompson and Olafson. Uh, Casey Middlestead has also been on the top power play. So yeah, I can't say anything bad about Jeff Skinner. I added him in one of my leagues, and I don't think I'm going to drop him anytime soon. He's not my worst player. Uh, speaking of Casey Middlestead, by the way, he scored in his return. So here's a, a small piece of happy news in the Injury episode. Middlestat scored in his return on Thursday. Nothing versus Carolina on Saturday, but he scored three shots. He's on the top power play. Like I said, he's been playing with Gergensen's and Asplund at even strength. It doesn't seem that great, but like what line does seem that great when you look at the names in Buffalo? Uh, in fact, the a line that has been doing okay is the Kyle Ocposo line. Ocposo has been playing with Cousins and a guy named Brett Murray, and Cousins has is now on a six game point streak after his power play assist on Saturday. So I know Ben is going to be really mad for me asking this because according to what I hearing, I'm hearing on short shifts, he thinks that Kyle Post was the absolute worst, just kind of how like I used to talk about Jeff Skinner. But at this point, Brian, I'm just curious. I got to just ask now, like, because he keeps getting points, right? I'm ready to stop 
thinking about Kyle Poso because I feel like he's a guy from five years ago that used to be good on the Islanders, but here he is getting points. Let's say you have him in free agency and Casey Middlestad, who's the bit of a higher pedigree prospect at the moment, who has scored a goal recently and is on the top power play. Who would you take if you wanted to saber between Middlestad and Poso? I would take, I mean, I would take Kyle Poso. My initial answer was neither. But Kyle Lockposo is on a run, and at least, unlike Middlestad, who's playing with no one, really, uh, at least Ocposo has Dylan Cousins as someone to play with that is possibly good. Um, but Ocposo definitely deserves a shout-out for putting up, really, his best underlying offensive rates that we've seen since Ocposo left Long Island after the 2015-16 season and coming to Buffalo as this like heralded free agent, big acquisition, going to help turn the team around. Man, like what a sad time in Buffalo. Kyle Ocposo has been there this whole time through the, I was going to say ups and downs, but it's more like downs and down furthers. So way to go, Kyle Ocposo. We actually just had someone in our Discord server, like while we were recording, Gus, uh, asking in our patrons-only server, if you cover up Ocposo's name, wouldn't he be a must-add? He was going to drop Ocposo in exchange for Jarvis and is now trying to decide if he should swap out Kyle Ocposo for Seth Jarvis. Elon, where are you on that? I don't know. Yeah, I, I go with Ocposo, I guess. He's on a good run. Who who knows, right? These, these like, Ocposo, Jarvis, these are, like, streamers, right? So it does, it's not a big yeah. deal either way. Like, obviously, in the long run, you'll want Seth Jarvis in a keeper league. That's a whole different story. But, like, yeah, like, also with Ocposo, don't forget, it's like, I remember back when he went to Buffalo, then he, like, had some terrible injury issues. Remember, I don't even remember what it was, but it was like, something that kept him out for a year, and then he was like, I don't, he, yeah, like, couldn't it wasn't, practice. like, entirely normal or physical. Yeah, it was, like, weird stuff going on in his body that, like, yeah. didn't sound comfortable. So, anyway, Anyway, maybe he's finally back to full health. I don't want to like read too much into it. And again, I don't expect Kyle Posa to be someone you're going to add and like he's going to like you know, stay on your roster all season. Even if he is finally back to full health, he's also like six years older <laughs> yeah. than how old he was then. But like I hear what you're saying completely. Like Ocposo and Jarvis are both like it could be even odds between them. Ocposo's he'll be 34 in April. But I cut you off. What were you saying? No, I'm just saying that for now, I'm going to ride the hot streak. He yeah. seems to be doing well, and uh, we'll see what happens. But it's Buffalo. You're probably not going to want to lean too hard on any Buffalo player that's not on that top line, which is Skinner, Olafson, and Tage Thompson. And even right them, I'm not saying there's a su- super high ceiling, but I take Skinner over Taylor Hall. That's going to be my d- benchmark for this episode. Would I take the player <laughs> over? T- I'd take Hall over uh, Ocposo, but I'd take Skinner over Hall. That's great, because I was actually just about to ask you whether you, like, I had that in my prep notes as a question to ask you, Skinner or Hall. Like, I appreciate what you're saying. And the funny bit about Jeff Skinner is that his own performance doesn't seem to have changed much from last year or the year before or the year before. This is the story of Jeff Skinner. His minutes change, his shooting percentage fluctuates, but he never really seems to change much himself. But this year, Skinner's seeing more minutes, more of a power play role healthy shooting percentage, and variance that isn't crazy, but it's on the side of friendly rather than frustrating. And that's it for Jeff Skinner. It's like he's the same guy he's been all this time, but he's just getting more opportunity. Seven goals and seven assists. Uh, oh, last year, Skinner had seven goals and seven assists in 53 games. This year, Skinner has eight goals and eight assists in just 24 games. So I think Skinner is worth rostering as a guy with 25 goal, 55 point upside. And uh, that's why I was going to ask you Skinner versus Hall. And honestly, I think I'm inclined to agree with you, Elon, that I would take Jeff Skinner because he's hotter. Heck, I might even take Ocposo over Hall. Like oh, if wow. this is, it's just a stream, right? Yeah, I guess. So I'm, I I'm just yeah. looking for someone who's hot. 
Sure. I mean, I to me, they're like a kind of different levels. But yeah, if, if I guess if, if you're just dropping Hall anyways, if you've yet to get me to just predict who I think will be better for the rest of the season, then you heard my ranking. But yeah, give me the guy on the top line, top power play, and that's Jeff Skinner, not Taylor Hall. Okay, so let's not talk about Taylor Hall anymore unless we're just going to dunk on... The thing is, the more we dunk on him, the more likely it is that he's going to get like a hat trick in the next game on Wednesday and make us look dumb. But I guess that's, that's the way the business goes. So let's go to Calgary now, another team that has been pretty lucky with injuries. Uh, they're not only fine with injuries, they're just fine, like, overall and by fine i mean amazing like they've had such a good season so far their win over the ducks on friday was their seventh in their last eight games they're playing vegas today looks like the game yeah hasn't started yet so uh the people listening will find out if they have added another win to their record uh but yeah i guess the player that i wanted to quickly mention is oliver shillington uh went cold like he was hot we were talking about him on the show before remember this is the guy whose name is spelled kylington but it's actually pronounced shillington uh and he was like on this major hot streak so we talked about him on the show we said that like it's looking good but it's probably not going to last and then you gave a lot of reasons why it was unsustainable and then yeah he went cold like we expected but you know he started to heat up again he's got an assist in each of his last three games uh going into today up to 15 points in 23 games on the season now that's a 53 point pace and you know when he had his previous hot streak and it started with three games i didn't even pay him any mind and then it just kept going and going so now that this is starting again I don't know. I just want to know, like, if we're into him a little more. Like, Brian, right now, are you into him after these three games more so than you were, like, you know, three games into his previous hot streak? Or do you still feel the same way that this is just kind of like some totally unsustainable thing and he's not of interest to you as more than like a 30-point defenseman? I'm going to answer you, Elon, I promise. But just first, just for the the word and linguistics nerds out there, I did do a little research this time into uh, why it's pronounced Shillington instead of Kylington. So do you know that the K in Swedish can be a hard K or a soft K. And whether it's hard or soft depends on the vowel that follows the K. It's almost like a C in English. And so if the sound in Shillington, like if there's that Y vowel after the K, it's soft. Uh, So there you go. There we go. Mystery solved. (laughs) Thanks to Stephen McConey at Swedish Language Blog for that information. Uh, Stay tuned for more Swedish Language Blog content. Ooh, you got not more this for episode. Us? Actually, oh, okay. This episode. Maybe okay. just some other day. Uh, okay, but we want to talk about the hockey player, Oliver Shillington, who has just four shots in this three-game streak. No blocks or hits of consequence either. And so, like, I'm looking at him, and I'm not excited. I see that Shillington's five-on-five points participation rates are up above 70%, which is crazy. Like, that's what you'd expect from a really from like a pretty good forward a defenseman the best defensemen are in on 40 or 45 percent of the goals scored while they're on the ice and shillington historically himself has only been in on 35 percent. so he's doubling his points participation so far and you know another theory is well calgary's so good they're scoring a lot of goals so maybe shillington's getting rich off of that and actually no like shillington's the offense while shillington's on the ice isn't substantially better than what we've seen Chillington uh, get time with before. So I think there's a couple things going on here. Uh, first, lots is going right for Chillington, but I also did put it to uh, the Calgary Flames, the close Calgary Flames watchers in our patrons-only Discord server. There's another shout-out for the server, patreon.com slash Carlson. I swear, there's good info there, though. Um, uh, thanks to Stefan, Sean, and Zelnox for uh, sharing their takes and, and thoughts on Oliver Shillington as someone who's watched him more often than me. And basically, uh, the 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 vibe that they have is that Shillington's offense has actually always been a part of his game. We just haven't seen it because he struggled to figure out the rest 
of the NHL game. So Shillington actually does have this latent offensive upside, but wasn't really able to put a full enough game together that he was able to show it off. And now maybe he is kind of rounding into form, which is more exciting than I would have known before asking these. I mean, he was projected like in his draft class to have talent. Um, like Stefan pointed out, he's projected top 10 as draft class because of the offensive upside. And uh, he's really, and, and Sean added that, you know, he was always making a decent pass, but then following it up with like four or five errors that followed up and washed it out. But this season, Shillington seems to have found his game, maybe thanks to the style that Calgary's playing under Daryl Sutter. It's working for him or he's matured into the role, which is great, which is starting to make me think. Elon, just to tie this all into a bow, that maybe Shillington, while he's overperforming right now, I don't expect him, you know, I said a few weeks ago, maybe 30, 35 points. Maybe it's time to have like uh, Mikhail Sergachev type expectations for Oliver Shillington, maybe a little less power play production, but maybe 40 points is in reach for Shillington as a season long pace if he has found his overall game and can start showing these flashes of offensive upside that were following him into the draft. Yeah, and plus there's always the possibility. I'm not saying I've heard that this is going to happen, but it's a rare team, right, where the top power play defenseman is performing a lot worse offensively than some other player who's on the second power player. Sometimes not getting any power play time, but like maybe at some point Rasmus Anderson gets bumped and Schillington gets a shot at the top power play, and then all bets would be off. And I'm not saying I know for sure that's going to happen. It probably won't, but imagine if it did and you had Schillington on your team. How excited would you be? So just something to you know keep in mind or to dream about <laughs> at night if you have if you've added Schillington and you're hoping for even more. Uh, let's go next to. Carolina. So Andre Svechnikov missed Saturday's game against Buffalo with an upper body injury. He joined Tony D'Angelo and Brett Pesci on the shelf. They're both in the COVID protocol. So, uh, you know, not great, but Carolina still won. So who cares? They were against Buffalo. Uh, if you want to try to keep up with the Canes lines, <laughs> because every single episode they change, here's what they looked on Saturday. They had Aho, Teravainen, and Niederreiter. Then Trocek with Natchez and Seth Jarvis. And then there was kind of the rest. I guess I should mention Kakaniemi is in that bottom six. He's been doing pretty well lately, for what it's worth. But anyway, Okay, those are the lines right now. Obviously, that sounds really good for Nino Niederreiter. Generally, I just want the guy playing with Aho, and so it's good for Terravinen to be with him. It's good for Nino. Nino had a goal and an assist in that game versus Buffalo on Saturday. That brought him to five points in his last five games. Uh, Carolina, by the way, plays four games next week, so who knows how long these lines will last. But with Svechnikov out, there's like fewer options of people to play with Sebastian Aho, so maybe Niederreiter gets to hold that spot, and he becomes very interesting to me. Then on defense, uh, there were no power plays on Saturday, but Jacob Slavin was the the power play one quarterback in the loss to Ottawa in the previous game for Carolina, and he actually picked up a power play assist. Uh, so with D'Angelo and Brett Pesci out, and if they stay out for this next four-game week or even a couple games from it, got to imagine that Jacob Slavin becomes someone that you want to stream in for the short term, a la like a Sam Steele. But like, you know, this Carolina power play is a, a good place to be, and Slavin has produced in the past. Uh, I recall when he was in that spot, though, I think it was like there was a couple seasons ago when he went on this amazing hot run and he was on the top power play, but he actually wasn't even getting power play points. But either way, it's still a good space to be where you'd expect that there's a good chance for him to get points. So he's interesting to me in the short term. And I'll also mention one more player and then just throw to you about the Canes, but I got to mention Vincent Trocek, who he brought up last week as this guy on a cold streak, someone who's disappointing everyone. And guess what? He ended that eight game pointless streak it helps to go against Malcolm Subban I guess because he had a goal and two assists in that game against Buffalo uh so I'd be curious to know if you think like this is an indication that all right it's time engines are revved time for Trocek to turn it around or is this just like he had a you know good game against Buffalo but let's see what he can do <laughs> aside from that so in conclusion Niederreiter with Aho, I like that Slavin top power play I like that nice to see Trocek do something 
All right. In order, Niederreiter, I also like that. I don't know how long he'll be there. Nobody does because Carolina is blending their lines often this year. But Niederreiter is a nice stream while he's up there on the top line. Uh, He did well there last year in spurts. So why not take him for a stream if you have a spot for him on a night that Niederreiter is playing? Then I think you mentioned I lost track of what order you went in. I'll I'll go to Trocek, who is himself on an interesting line with Natchez and Seth Jarvis. Good for Trocek that he's in a better spot now than he was in last time we talked about him. So that's a start. I still definitely have concerns about Trocek's power play role. You know, we talked about it the last time we talked about Trocek, how he's still on that top power play, but he's not involved in the same way he once has. There's been a change to how Carolina runs their unit, and it has taken... Uh, work away from Trocek. And that's why he's not putting up points on the top power play that we've seen him put up in the past. So I think his ceiling is still lower than we would have wanted because of that, even though he's still on the top unit. Good for Trocek to be relevant, being like playing on a clear top six line, but he still hasn't fully reclaimed the value that he had in the season's opening weeks when we were like, okay, top six, top power play role. Now it's like top six and like Eh, top power play role. And then Jacob Slavin, uh, you mentioned Elon, he did go on a run. I think it was last season, maybe the one before where yet he was taking over the top power play. And then he won this crazy tarot five on five that was like very variance driven and not putting up any power play points. It's like, do we really like Slavin because he's doing all this at five on five and on the top power play? My answer now is the same as it was then, which is that, uh, no, I don't love Slavin a whole lot more. I I actually legitimately thought Carolina was going to keep running five forwards when we saw them do it briefly right when D'Angelo went on the shelf for the first time. But I see Slavin as, you know, not, not an offensive type. He's lucked into scoring runs before, and he's not someone I'm really excited for. So if you're looking for the Carolina power play quarterback, and that's why you're adding Slavin, Honestly, I might look elsewhere, including an option in Montreal that we'll get to in a little bit. No way. You're going to take yeah. Kale Clegg over Slavin. Clegg is going to get benched or he's going to take zero shots. Come on. That's a bad That's bad advice, in my opinion, I, well, respectfully. I mean, it depends on the blocks and hits and, and how much that matters because Slavin does some decent peripherals work that Clegg doesn't. But if you're just if you're looking for power play production from a power play quarterback, I would rather. OK, do you want to just make a little bet on the air right now? A little, sure. Farmer's bet, friendly wager, friendly non-wager, that uh, (laughs) over the next week, power play points per game, Clegg is higher than Slavin. Why not just points per game? Why can't we just say who's better? Okay. (laughs) Well, because I'm looking at power play production. I'm talking about who people should add. I'm saying I think Slavin is going to be much better than Kale Clegg. If I'm looking for paint, if I'm looking for points, I would take the chance on Clegg. Slavin's boring. All right. So this will be a fun bet. Slavin's not. I I deserve odds on this, by the way. Well, you're the one who brought it up. <laughs> you can't offer a bet, then we agree to it, then you say, I want odds. Also, you kept on, you made perfectly clear to make it clear to everyone that it's not for money. So I don't think odds will really matter. You could get more cred. Uh, I guess we might as well just go to Montreal if it's okay to go out of order since you already brought it up. So yeah, the reason why we're talking about Kale Clegg is that Jeff Petrie's out with an upper body injury, but like, even whatever, like maybe he has already been suffering from this injury all season, or who knows, he's been a shell of his former self. He wasn't even on the top power play in Montreal. But of course, uh, Chris Weidman was also injured for a bit. Maybe he's back. Sammy Niku is someone that we haven't been recommending while, when he's gotten on the top power play. I don't know. So they've got some other players on the top power play. No one's done anything. And yeah, LA waved Kale Clegg, and the Habs claimed him. So Brian thinks that this is going to mean something. I'm almost positive it, it won't uh but uh we'll have to see brian so do, do you have any more reasoning for why you're interested in, in kale clegg as the new 
I guess Sammy Niku or Chris Weidman or Jeff Petrie in Montreal. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, maybe I am overly excited about Kale Clegg. I just, I just feel like he's worth looking at. And Sammy Niku, I'm reading this quote right now uh, from the hockey someone whose Twitter handle Marco D'Amico, aka at the Hockey Expert, who was on a, a Habs radio show saying Sammy Niku has the better shot. And Kale Clegg is better in transition. So I don't know. Okay. I Cancel I, the I, bet. I cancel the bet. I, go Slavin. I hope you didn't make any. I hope no one acted on that before hearing the follow-up <laughs> the on that. five minutes. I'm just, I'm, I'm interested in Kale Clegg. That, that's all I'm saying. Okay. If you're looking for a power play quarterback, I'm more interested in Kale Clegg. Then he might potentially be one, probably not. And if he is, it's like it, one of the places that there's no success happening this year. But sure, some for some reason for interest, I guess. He couldn't hold the job in LA uh, while Dowdy was out, but maybe he can do it in Montreal. All right, so Brian, we've got still a whole bunch of teams to go. We've only figured, finished Carolina, and we wanted to go through the whole league. So we'll see at what point we have to go into a hurry-up offense here. But in the meantime, let's just take a quick break to thank a couple of sponsors for this week's episode of Keeping Carlson, starting with our new friends over at TickPick. And that's with a T. Uh, the temperatures outside have been dropping, which, of course, means NHL season is, like, well underway. Of course, if you didn't realize that NHL season is well underway, then I'm not sure what podcast you think you're listening to. But, yeah, there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the Internet for tickets to see your favorite hockey team play. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need for your go-to for all tickets for NHL hockey, concerts, NFL, NBA, whatever. Go to TickPick. And they'll sell you a ticket to go to the game. You know what, Brian? I personally just started to realize that I've never seen Alex Ovechkin play. And I'm going to, like, hate myself if I don't see Ovi score one of the goals that's going to be in the huge collection of goals that will eventually break Gretzky's record. I need to go. I've already been talking. We've been talking with Ben and Lewis in our side chat about how we might go to a game in Montreal in April. Uh, Patrons, let us know if you're in Montreal and you want to come join us for this exciting game where Washington's going to play the Habs. Uh, I think I'm going to go. But anyway, uh, I'm very excited now that we have a site here with a really good deal because I would love to go see OV play uh, and I think that anyone should go see OV play whenever they can because this is going to be an opportunity you're going to want for the rest of your life. But anyways. And while, you know, it gets really exciting to start looking for tickets to a hockey game to see Alex Ovechkin or any of your favorite players play, but then you get all those service fees that are so freaking annoying and turn the cost into something inexplicable and surprising. But TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that those other ticket sites charge so they actually can guarantee the best prices in all of their nhl hockey tickets that's right TickPick guarantees the best prices and if you don't believe them if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site TickPick is going to give you 110 percent of the difference in the purchase price which means i think elon you can tell me if i'm doing the math wrong they're going to pay you to go to the game if you find a better deal well, not exactly, Brian. No, it's more like let's say uh, you see the ticket on TickPick for one ten, but then you found it someone el- somewhere else for a hundred. That means that you found it for uh, ten dollars cheaper. So oh, they're yeah. going to give you ten percent of that. Uh, so that's how it works. But hey, they're matching the price and they're even giving you a little something. Not all site. I don't know any other site that does that's going to do that. Most sites will be like, fine, buy it from them. I don't care. But TickPick, they're, yeah, they're going to try to give you the best site. So yeah, give it a try. Uh, go to TickPick.com/slash/Carlson. As an Eric, not John, not Lucas, K-A-R-L-S-S-O-N, tickpick.com slash Carlson, and uh, go see OV 
and McDavid and all those players that one day you're going to feel really bad if your you know, grandkids are asking you, why didn't you ever see those great players while you were alive? And you're like, oh, no, I didn't feel like it. And it's like, these are once-in-a-lifetime players, okay? All right, Brian, uh, we'll just uh, cut to now another quick ad break, and then we'll be going straight through all the rest of the teams, D through Z. I guess there's no Z team, uh, through W. Uh, so we'll be back in just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. Okay, we are back and we're going, I said D, but no, we're still on C. We're on Chicago now. So no big injury news of players that we care about for fantasy purposes. I guess Connor Murphy, uh, he's someone who used to be someone we cared about for fantasy purposes last year. He went on a run where he was getting some points and also taking shots and hits and blocks. He was a good peripherals guy. Uh, he got taken out by a hit by Alex Ovechkin, who I was just mentioning before in the ad. Uh, so he's on the concussion protocol. Uh, but anyway, probably, that's not good for Chicago, right? They already are weak on D. Now they lose Connor Murphy. Uh, Tyler Johnson is also up, but we've forgotten about him. Uh, so I'll just mention quickly, about Chicago. Uh, Brandon Hagel got an assist on the Kane first period goal versus the Rangers on Saturday. And today he's scored a power play goal. So yeah, he's sticking in this good deployment. Not to say that he's like a sure thing to get you points all the time, but like definitely someone that's interesting to stream while he's playing with Patrick Kane, of course. Uh, the player that I want to ask you about here is Seth Jones, who is quietly creeping up towards a point per game. Like he had his third multi-point game in four games on Saturday. He's up to now three goals and 18 assists for 21 points in 23 games now. That's going into today. Chicago, like I said, scored a power play goal today. I'm just going to have a guess. Yep, Seth Jones had a power play assist today. So this guy just keeps on producing. He's currently on a 75-point pace, or I guess higher now that he just got this point today. His career high is 60 points with Columbus back in 2017-18. Do you think that Seth Jones is going to beat his career high this year and break 60? I think he could finish right around that. And I'm not I'm not getting down with point for game Seth Jones. And I'll tell you why. First off, he's participating in 80% of the goals scored while he's on the ice at five on five versus 45% in his career. I mean, we just talked about those numbers with Shillington and uh, Jones, you know, is on the good end of points participation at 45% in his career, but 80% is just completely unreasonable at five on five. So that's one reason why Seth Jones is pacing for nearly a point per game. Um, another reason that I'm not sure I believe in it, or I'm actually sure I don't believe in Jones pacing for a point per game is because the five on five offense in Chicago is actually no better than the lines he spent time on the ice with in Columbus. And with those lines, Seth Jones was not able to do a whole lot at five on five. And I don't see that changing significantly just because the Jersey has changed, but being on a clear top power play unit is one thing that is huge for Seth Jones. And the reason why I am saying, I think he can come close or, you know, inch past his career high, as opposed to being like a 45 ish point guy that he's been in Columbus for the last few years in Columbus, Seth Jones had like a 50 to 55% share of the blue jackets power play time. And he was on meh, kind of power play units in Chicago. Seth Jones is seeing a 73% share of the team's power play time. So that's like no doubter top power play quarterback numbers. And the top unit in Chicago is pretty darn good. And I think that bodes really well for Seth Jones. So trying to make an analogy between the last time we saw Seth Jones hit what was his career high, that 60-point season, those fueled by 24 power play points. And this season, Seth Jones is on pace for 21 power play points, and that's with just one power play point going into tonight in his last 15 games, which is really sad and bound to improve as it has already started to turn around. So I think Seth Jones, like to make the long answer short, I still think he gets about a 60-point pace. I think that's the right expectation. I think Jones's five-on-five production is going to slow down to being more pedestrian, but his power play production is going to pick back up, which uh, might help Jones pace for 25, 30 power play points the rest of the season. 
uh, which would be a reason why I could be convinced to stretch Jones to like a 65-point pace the rest of the year, but that's as far as I'd go. So I, I think it's more likely he finishes below 65 than over it, but certainly in the conversation, I could see him touching or getting just past his career high. Okay, yeah. N- nothing to sneeze at. Like, I don't know if I was expecting also or expecting you to say that he's like going to be anywhere near point per game, but he's on an amazing run. And it looks like even if he only is pacing for like 55 the rest of the season, he might have already set himself up with enough of a head start that he might still beat his career high. So great season so far for Seth Jones. Uh, I've got him in a dynasty league actually with the option to drop him before the long term 9.5 million per year forever contract kicks in. So it's going to be a tricky decision this summer because I traded for him kind of thinking it'll be more like a rental for this year because there's no way I want to take on this contract but if he's going to be like even just a 65 point defenseman I say just that's pretty rare in the NHL that's uh pretty valuable that's not someone you just drop in most situations uh so anyways Maddie and I will figure that out over the summer uh Colorado next they've got some tough ones this one sucks okay so first of all Nazem Kadri was dinged up versus Montreal on Thursday didn't play Saturday versus Ottawa in the 6-5 overtime loss by the way I'm saying dinged up I don't mean to like just like be flippant like that's the quote I read <laughs> from the coach uh so he'll probably be back soon uh so Kale McCarr also didn't play on Saturday with an upper body injury. Uh, Bowen Byram also didn't play. He's been out with a head injury. So I don't know the status of Kale McCarr at this point. Definitely, you know, this is like we're giving you like our up-to-date news. But I think before you make any big decisions, check the latest news. We have a Twitter account, at Game Day News NHL, that Shams helps us keep up-to-date. He does an amazing job. So definitely, if he sees any news about Kale McCarr, I'm sure there's going to be a tweet there. In the meantime, Devon Taves played 31 minutes and 17 seconds in the game versus Ottawa on Saturday. The overtime loss and he was great he also was on the top power play he picked up an assist on the Landeskog power play goal also scored the tying goal late in the third obviously Makar and Byron could be back at any time but man you've got to wonder like how good Taves would be if he got this power play one opportunity like if for some reason like Makar was out long term like I wonder if you know you start to wonder with these Colorado players like and I don't mean to disrespect Kale Makar he's obviously amazing but it's like a really sweet situation to be in you wonder how good like any of these talented defensemen would be and Taves seems to be really talented even without this power play opportunity Taves is up to 13 points in 12 games now last season he broke out for 31 points in 53 games that's a 48 point pace do you think he's going to beat that this year like even like assuming Makar comes back and Taves isn't on the top power play do you think he can approach or beat or like be kind of the same that's amazing for a player it's very rare for a player to have like around 50 points not on the top power play as a defenseman but Taves did it last year and he's looking really great this year so far he's looking really great this year and Devin Taves also looked really good last year uh, which is fantastic. I'm not expecting Taves to quarterback the top unit in Colorado. And I don't know that he beats last year's pace, which was, what was it, like 55 points. But I think uh, Taves can get like get approach last year's pace and maybe equal it. I, I don't see reason to believe he's taking a step beyond it. But Taves looked really good last year. And Taves still looks good this year. Uh, so I think I'm really just saying, yeah, Taves looks good. I think 45 to 50 points is the right range to expect him, even without a power play role. It's nice to be in Colorado. There are a lot of goals to go around, and Taves is pretty good at starting them. Remember back when he was in Long Island, he had a chance to quarterback the top unit, and because he failed there doesn't mean he's bad. I saw that just as I see that now just as a sign that, yeah, he has some offensive upside and skill. He's pretty like he's got that element to his game and he's using it well in Colorado at even strength. Yeah, Devontae's man. Definitely I take him over Jacob Slavin, no question about it. Also, if he is available in your league, I would just grab him now. 
probably like regardless, but especially because we don't know yet if Kale McCarr is going to be out for a little while. And if he is on that top power play while McCarr is out, that's like, that's huge. Then you want him more than like most defensemen in the league. Well, that's the case. By the way, big thanks to Miko Rantanen for putting up a goose egg in a five goal game versus Ottawa. A couple goals. Maybe I'd be beating Ben this week instead of losing and falling to four and four on the year in the couple. So yeah, I'm being sarcastic. No thanks to you, Miko Rantanen. I spent a lot of money on you in the uh, tier one auction draft and that really was disappointing. So bummer but okay let's go to columbus now patrick line is still out it was uh told to be four to six weeks with an oblique strain back on november 5th so now it's been like four weeks which means we're now within the range of four to six weeks so maybe there will be an update soon and we'll see patrick line back that would be cool uh also all the goalies are out <laughs> currently or they were like corpus Allo and merzlikens were both sick last week uh so that led to daniel tarasov getting a couple games where he was really great, despite taking two losses to Dallas and Washington. He had a 926 save percentage in those appearances. I see that Columbus has also played today, and they won 6-4 to four over San Jose, and uh, Merzlikens was the goalie. So I guess Tarasov, probably before long, he'll go back to the minors once Corpus is healthy. Uh, but I didn't really know anything about this goalie, so just wanted to mention him. Brian, uh, do you know who this guy is? Maybe someone to watch. Like, Corpus is an unrestricted free agent after this season. So this Daniil Tarasov, I'd imagine, is next in line to at least be the backup of Merzlikens. And who knows? You know how Columbus sometimes likes to play even their backup goalie quite often. So maybe someone that's going to get more mentions on Keeping Carlson next year. Yeah, Daniel Tarasov seems like he's in line to be the backup in Columbus. Yunus Corposalo has proven himself to be unreliable. He's not great. That's not a surprise to us. We've been watching and seeing that he didn't seem to be cut out for an NHL starter role. Maybe Corposalo can be a backup in the NHL, but I don't think he's a number one. And I think Tarasov might be a better backup at that. He was the third round pick of the Columbus Blue Jackets back in 2017, 86th overall. Tarasov is 22 years old, which means he's five years younger than Merzlikens and Merzlikens also has a five-year extension kicking in next year at 5.4 million dollars per year so I expect Tarasov to be Elvis's backup for the duration of that time maybe someone who can grow into a timeshare with him Elon like you said if you know somehow Columbus wants to swing the pendulum from Merzlikens being a like having a heavy workload to having a more equal one Tarasov could benefit from that but for him there's just not a clear path to becoming a number one, like the straight up number one or even 1A, because that job is spoken for in Columbus for the next little while. But I think he is someone to keep an eye on, Tarasov, as someone who might be nice for a spot start coming up. He has a pretty decent track record and reputation, and I'm curious to see what he can do in the NHL. We might not see much of him this year, but yeah, I think this is he's reason to expect Corpusalo to not be resigned by the organization. Yeah, maybe even traded at the deadline if a team needs a goalie. Like, we've been talking about some different teams with goalie issues. I guess Buffalo doesn't really care. They got, like, Malcolm Subban for probably nothing. But uh, there might be some teams that need a goalie, and maybe Corpusalo is now even more expendable. Uh, so since we're on Columbus, they just scored six goals today. So you've got to imagine their best player, Oliver Bjorkstrand. Nope, nothing. No points. Again, Brian, what is going on with Oliver Bjorkstrand? Patron Joel asked us to talk about him in our Discord, and I was like, yeah, you better believe it that I had him already slated to come on the show. He started the season really well. He was on such an amazing run. We were talking about, man, how great is Bjorkstrand? This guy's like a superstar. Now he only has one assist in his last seven games now. Only two shots total in his previous four games going into today. Did he at least take a shot today? One shot? That's it? 
Oh my God, Brian, like, what's wrong with this guy? This is reminding me of Logan Couture last year, who was on this amazing run, then all of a sudden just completely fell off. And I remember you were speculating that maybe Couture was injured. Should we just spec, like, I don't want to just say that Bjorkstrand became bad. I, that, that would like change my whole perception of the world. Yeah, you'd be so let down, wouldn't you, to hear that Oliver Bjorkstrand is actually bad after all the uh, after all the love we've thrown him on the pod over the years. And I am also trying to look for explanations because this is weird. Guys like Bjorkstrand don't just go missing, uh, especially someone who has a lot of shot volume. Like something is weird with Bjorkstrand right now. You mentioned that he had just two goals in his last four games going into tonight. Still didn't do much tonight, although. Uh, gonna give him some credit. 26 seconds into the game tonight, Bjorkstrand hit the crossbar, which does not count as a shot on goal, but it is his NHL high sixth post that he's hit this season. So Bjorkstrand just inches away from having much better numbers. But, uh, what's going back to his shot totals, what's weirder than Bjorkstrand going into tonight having just two shots in his last four is that Bjorkstrand has only attempted Four shots in his last four games going into tonight. For context, Bjorkstrand's generally good for three or four shot attempts per game. Tonight, I'm checking and I see that against San Jose, he did attempt four shots. So at least that that part of it is back to normal, at least for one night for Bjorkstrand. But it's really strange that he took a vacation from trying to shoot, let alone actually succeeding with shots on goal. And like, you know, Logan Couture is someone who pops into my head, too, because usually we see this sort of thing happen when a player is playing hurt. Uh, You know, all of a sudden we know them to shoot this much and suddenly the shots go away completely. So I actually went through Bjorkstrand's game log to see, okay, well, when did this start? Five games back. Just before Bjorkstrand stopped even attempting shots on goal, he played a season low 14 minutes and 46 seconds against the Canucks. And then I look even closer and I see Bjorkstrand landed on a lower line in the third period of the game for some reason. He ended up playing with uh, Cole Sillinger and Gregory Hoffman. And that line with Bjorkstrand played just two very, very short shifts in the final 13 minutes of a 3-2 game. So... I like. I wonder if something happened in that game against Vancouver and Bjorkstrand barely played to finish it out. And since then, his time on ice has gone down a bit. He's barely attempting shots. So if I look at all that, I feel like maybe Oliver Bjorkstrand is a little hurt, which is some cause for panic if he does need to take some time off to heal or if he doesn't take time off to heal and keeps playing through this. That's really frustrating because Bjorkstrand is a guy who gives you that nice floor of taking a whole bunch of shots and then the goals go in because he's good at shooting. But when he's not doing that or not healthy enough to do that, it's really frustrating. So if he is hurt, this is the best hypothesis I have now. I think I'd rather he just take a week off to get better rather than play through this for another two or three weeks while it heals even slower because he's in the lineup. Uh, and that's that's my take. So if you're a Bjorkstrand haver, like I am in a few leagues, I would just be waiting it out and hoping he takes a little break to get better. Man, I feel like I'm, I'm so tempted to just go back when I edit the show and put like the serial theme music when you're like doing all this sleuthing and trying to figure out what's the reason why and find, oh, there was a game like against Vancouver. And I, like, yeah, it's a very good theory. I wish also that he would just take the time off because then we can all stash him in our IRs and replace him with someone who's healthy and doing something. Here now, you don't want to drop all, like we're getting questions of people asking if they can drop Bjorkstrand. And it's like, it's making my head spin because I just don't want to say yes because I know how great he can be. But obviously this is a big intangible of if he's playing hurt. So I don't know. I guess if it was me, I'd give him more time. 
But, uh, you know, I gave Couture a significant amount of time last year, and eventually I did drop him, right? Because he just didn't get going yet. So I'm watching him closely now. Let's just say that. Like, he was, like, not on my radar at the start of this week. Now, like, he had, like, three games of no points. Now he's, like, significantly on my radar. And if, like, next week we come back on the show and still it's, like, hardly any shots, no points, like, nothing going on, then maybe we start need to start discussing if we would drop him. But I personally, like, feel free if you want to drop him in your league, especially. You know, a lot of these ad drop decisions are, like, if you could drop him and you don't think anyone else is going to Adam, then what's the big deal? Fine. Then you could add someone else, and then once he gets going, add him back. No penalty. But if you're in a league where you're going to drop him, and then everyone's going to use their top waiver priority to grab him, and that's it for the season... I'd hold on. Like, a lot of times with these drop decisions, I actually like to think of it in terms of, like, am I giving a gift? Like, am I going to make someone excited when they see the drop that just happened in their league? And like, oh, I can get Bjork. If you think that someone's going to have that reaction, then probably you hold on or at least, like, try to trade him or something, right? But anyway, uh, that's a bummer. Okay, let's go to Dallas. Uh, not too much going on here. So John Klingberg was sick, missed Thursday's game, should be back Monday. Uh, like I said, a lot of people getting sick. Also, Dennis Gurionov was sick with likely the same illness. That's what I read. There might be a bug going around. So... Okay, that's a bummer, but I guess he'll be back. So yeah, aside from that, the Stars have been blessed with health pretty much, aside from, of course, Ben Bishop. We have no idea what's going on with him. Uh, so yeah, I don't really have any questions about Dallas. I will mention that they play four times next week. Rick Bonus said that he expects to play Holtby and Edinger each two times. So nice to know you can just set your watch to, you know, if either of them are in free agency, you're going to get two goalie starts, which is generally pretty good for a goalie stream to get two goalie starts in a week. So I like that. Yeah, and the other silver lining to that news is Jake Edinger has not been sent down yet, and he's going to play twice this week. I, I would love if Rick Bonus could also tell us which games, like if they're going to do two in a row each or alternate, but yeah. I guess they, we can't be too choosy. At least we have this much info. So thanks, Rick. Thanks. Of course, like one player has an amazing game, then the next one gets blown up, and then all of a sudden, maybe the next, the first one gets like two games in a row. Like, I'm sure he's not going to be like, you can hold me to that. But yeah, that's the information that we have right now. Okay, Brian, let's go to Detroit. A huge shocker of the year here. Tyler Bertuzzi has found himself on the COVID protocol. The one player who's not vaccinated is on the COVID protocol. So he's going to be out all of next week. Uh, Robbie Fabry has taken over his spot on the top line and top power play. He scored a power play goal on Wednesday versus Seattle. Nothing on Saturday in the win over the islanders uh gotta be of interest though for a stream next week especially since you can get his tuesday thursday friday games and then you could drop him for someone else on the weekend i always like when you have a player with a schedule like this. this is the kind of thing dave talks about on stream scheme right add fabry get three games of line one power play one and then saturday you drop him you pick up a guy playing saturday sunday you just got a five game week that's like yeah you can grab sam Steele and get five games or you can get five games this way and maybe get guys with higher potential of course then you have to use two ads and then you're gonna have like a bunch of injuries and then all of a sudden you're gonna wish you didn't use two ads you just added sam Steele. so there's that complication but fabry is of course interesting to me right now and i'll also just mention uh pew Suter, current five game point streak after he assisted on siders ot winner yesterday so brian Pew Suter versus Robbie Fabry for next week. If you want to sweep three games in five days to start the week, classic case of deployment versus hot streak. Which way do you go? I'm going Robbie Fabry here, who's, I think, one of this year's top streamer level players. Like, he's often available and usually rented out to someone in my leagues for one, two, maybe three games at a time where he may produce once or twice, but not enough to hold a roster spot. So uh, I think Fabry has earned that title of top level streamer, but not quite rosterable. And I think I would prefer him to Pew Suter. 
Okay, that's fair. I think I agree with that. Uh, let's go to Edmonton. Uh, good news. Darnell Nurse, close to returning. In fact, I believe he has returned for today's game. It's right now 2 nothing for LA in the second period. And let's see here how Darnell Nurse is doing, slash if he's even playing. Yeah, he's in the lineup. He's got two shots, two blocks. You know, classic Darnell Nurse, leading the team in time on ice. So welcome back, Darnell Nurse. I'm sure everyone who has him is very excited to get him back in their lineups. Uh, Duncan Keith. Did he come back? I saw that he was close to returning also. He's not playing today. Uh, well, Cody CC's on the COVID protocol, so I guess he's still out. So yeah, Edmonton has had some trouble with the defenseman getting injured, but at least they got Nurse back. Uh, Philip Broberg, remember, was called up. I believe it was when Nurse went down, so Broberg is still in the lineup. I'd imagine that won't last long. He's barely getting any ice time, so hopefully he's a good prospect long-term, but doesn't look like he's worth anything this year. News came out on Friday that Kyler Yamamoto would play with McDavid in that game, and it was like also Yamamoto's parents would be in the stands watching, and I was like, oh, this is like all the signs point to a big game from Yamamoto, and then he did nothing, not even a point or a shot. Of course, I streamed him in for a game, and it was like just a total waste of a stream. Uh, and obviously, no points today so far. And the lines are like back to normal. Apparently, even uh, Puliarvi is back on the top line with McDavid right now. So Brian, all of our talk last week about you know if you should be concerned about him, like you know he was probably dropped in your free agency because he hasn't been doing much lately. But now he could potentially go off again, or maybe not. Uh, what else can I tell you about Edmonton? Mike Smith has been making progress. He could be back soon. In the meantime, Miko Koskinen has been on a nice run, though he's letting these two goals today. So. Yeah, this is just a team where I don't really have many questions for you, but that's the sort of injury update on Edmonton. I don't think there's too much actionable here, unless you disagree. I'll just say that Kyle Yamamoto being up on the top line briefly was a really disappointing turn for him. I'm actually glad I'd already used my moves so that I didn't have to use one on getting disappointed by Yamamoto. I mean, landing back with Drysaddle and Nugent Hopkins is not an awful spot for Kyler, uh, but Honestly, he's still not even looking good there. Like, I'd love, I feel like it's reasonable to expect him to be like a 50 point guy from there. Currently, Yamamoto has just six points in 22 games, a 22 point pace. And honestly, I don't see any reason to expect things to get uh, any better for him, unfortunately. I mean, maybe a little better, but not close enough to that 50 point pace that I'm adding him just because he's playing with dry saddle and Nugent Hopkins. I would love for him to get hot, but I'm just not seeing any reason that he will. So here's hoping that still happens. And a little update on last week, Yessi Pugliarvi is back on the top line. So if you were worried about him losing that deployment, he has gotten it back. Okay, over to Florida. More injuries. This is the injury show, and they've been getting hit, right? Alex Barkov, Anthony Duclair, Gustav Forsling all missed this past week in their absence. We've got to shout out two guys who we pretty much wrote off at the v as being at least like not worth what they were drafted at a couple shows ago. Like Sam Reinhardt, we talked about how he's just not getting that premium role that we expected. Mackenzie Weger was not doing as well as he had to start the year or how he was last year. But no, this past week was really good. Reinhardt scored a goal in four of his last five games, including a game versus Buffalo on Thursday, where he also put up three assists. So it was a huge week for Sam Reinhart. He's been playing with Huberdeau and Bennett, is clearly clicking with them. So I wonder if now Reinhart doesn't have as much to fear about getting bumped down to the third line again once everyone's healthy. Like, you remember, it was like Owen Tippett playing with Huberdeau and Bennett. Then it was, of course, Verhage with Duclair and Barkov on that top line. So, you know, hopefully the coach is seeing something that he likes in Reinhart there so that he can stick with those good players and continue to to produce do we have regrets i believe we gave advice saying that reinhardt is like not gonna be like that great maybe like 55 60 point guy maybe you could remind me what we said about reinhardt but i'm starting to worry that maybe we gave premature advice but at the same time it was just like one good week so maybe it's like we have to wait and see <laughs> Um, let's wait and see for sure. That's always what we have to do. But if you're like, I honestly, Elon, you said the advice last time was bad, but I think we just said Reinhardt 
could have opportunity with the injury that he didn't have before. And let's see if he can take advantage of it. And he did. He Reinhardt got the opportunity, took advantage. He scored four times on his last 15 shots, which actually levels him out in his shooting percentage for the year. So while that's a lot, it's like, oh, well, he was due for some good fortune. I think the real test for Reinhardt is going to be what happens when Barkov and Duclair return. And uh, I think we're still just going to wait and see about what happens. I, like, we didn't see an opening from for Reinhardt in the top six, but now he's taken a spot from Owen Tippett that maybe he can hold. I don't know, Elon. Like, I feel like you're jumping to the conclusion that Reinhardt's been good there, so he's earned a spot to hold there. I'm not sure that's the case. Like, yeah, this knows, Florida yeah. team <laughs> has shown production through, like, so many different arrangements of their top nine. Great audition for Reinhardt in the top six. Great success for him. But I really don't think it guarantees anything. In fact, if I had Reinhardt, like, especially if, if I've been holding him all this time, I'd be looking to sell before finding out whether he holds the top six spot. And if he holds it, it'll be like, well, you know, I like I was, you know, mitigating risk. That's what I'd be trying to do because I'm yeah, I think right now his chances of staying in the top six and not falling back into the top nine might not be better than 50% to me. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, maybe it's just the kind of thing where now with these injuries, he's getting a more prominent role. Because it's not only like about like what line you're on, but it's also like your role on the team. Are you being put on the ice? You know, with Barkov out, this line with, uh, you know, Hubert Doe and Bennett and Reinhardt is like g- being put out for all the prime offensive opportunities instead of them splitting the time. So yeah, it's just not a normal situation. So I agree with you, Brian, that maybe now's a good time to see if you can get a nice return for Reinhardt in a trade. Then yeah, on D, like I said, Mackenzie Weaker, eight points his last nine games. Uh, before that, he had a five-game pointless drought also he had six shots in each of his last two games so Weger looking really good also i see that you wanted to talk about the newest member of the carlson family uh, lucas carlson so why don't you uh, finish off our panthers talk with some florida d yeah lucas carlson with four points in his last two games a goal and three assists four shots four hits three blocks and he actually saw a season high ice time uh, including a penalty killing role. This is Lucas Carlson, 19 and a half minutes last, uh, last game against St. Louis, which is a big jump from the 15 minutes a night he had been seeing the few games previous, which is a big jump from the 10 minutes per night Carlson had been seeing the few months prior, or the few games prior to that. So, uh, like this is a nice opportunity for Lucas Carlson. The first time he's gotten like this long a look in a top four defensive role and Carlson has looked good in the uh, Swedish Hockey League the Swedish Elite League and in Rockford of the AHL before but I asked uh, Victor Nuno from Fantasy Hockey Life our resident prospects expert you know what's the deal with Lucas Carlson and Victor was like well you know he just hasn't had much opportunity to really show off what he can do lately but now that he's got it Victor's pretty convinced he's going to take advantage Victor said that Lucas Carlson is a good good puck mover with a solid shot has good offensive instincts solid defensively too so a nice all-around guy with an offensive lean and uh, Victor actually I feel like he might be going out on a limb here but he said uh, Lucas Carlson is good and could someday challenge Aaron Ekblad for power play time and that uh, lucas carlson is good dynasty ad and even in a redraft victor sees some value there so I- i'm curious to see where this goes we've seen one game of lucas carlson playing more than 15 minutes so like i'm, I'm reserving judgment but i am watching closely and if you're desperate for d like maybe if you're adding someone like shattenkirk or if someone like shillington is gone maybe you do take a chance on lucas carlson and see how far he goes and then mackenzie weaker uh yeah great for him you know i just said that he's a 40 45 point player preseason but now he's up two minutes a night 
at five on five and super healthy shot rates for a defenseman. So Weger is a is a nice guy to have. He was someone I was sort of bearish on going into the season because everyone's so high on him. I'm still not as high as everyone else was, I think. But I'll put him at 45 points, give or take five, with a couple shots, a couple hits, a couple blocks a night. A really useful guy to have in Mackenzie Weger. Yeah, and by the way, for Lucas Carlson, keep in mind, I did mention that Gustav Forsling is injured, so maybe like this increased role is because of that, because Forsling's been like a significant part of the Florida defense when he's been healthy. But, you know, the way it's going, like, you know, Forsling will come back and someone else will be injured. So maybe then Lucas Carlson will still have an opportunity to stay and produce. And then, yeah, we'll have to see if he can live up to Victor's expectations in the long term. Okay, over to LA. So Andreas Athanasiu was out on the COVID protocol, but he's off that now. Uh, so is he even back playing today? Because I know LA is currently playing against Edmonton. They're now now up two to one. Let's see. Did uh, Dar- uh, Darnell Nurse scored? Of course, I was just about to say, did Darnell Nurse get a point on that? And there he is. So welcome back to Darnell Nurse. And I was going to look up Athanasiu. And yeah, so he is still not playing. So I'm not sure what the situation is there. Uh, in the meantime, if you recall, like, Athanasiu was in the top six. And now he's obviously not because he's been out. And it looks like a pretty solid top six. Like Arvidsson, Deneau, and Ayafalo have been doing well on the second line. And then Dustin Brown has been back up after being demoted to the bottom six. He's been back up with Kopitar and Adrian Campe on line one. Uh, so now with Athanasiu back, we'll see if he bumps someone. Maybe he bumps like Dustin Brown back down or maybe not. So we'll see what happens. Though there is another person that's coming in soon. And that's Quinton Byfield, the recent second overall pick, who's been out with an ankle injury, but he's apparently off the IR. He's been practicing in non-contact jerseys. So Brian, you know, we've had a really great year of rookies. You know, we've had Lucas Raymond, Trevor Zegras, just to name a couple. Like, is Quinton Byfield going to join that crew and be an impactful rookie this year? Or do you think it's going to be hard for him compared to those other guys i think it's going to be hard for byfield compared to those other guys because there's just not the same inherent opportunity or holes on the depth chart for byfield to fill that like lucas raymond had like easy opportunity to get into the top six same with uh trevor zegras and in la the top six is pretty well spoken for isn't it you've got kopitar kempe brown i follow arvidson to know I mean, we saw Dustin Brown get bounced out of the top six, but I think where he might actually be bearing the lead here, Elon, and what we're ta- to talk about in LA, because he's back on the top line, and Dustin Brown has his time on ice back, too. He's also put 17 shots on goal up in his last four games. He only has one goal and no assist to show for it all, but Dustin Brown seems to be working out there again on the top line, which means it's a decent time to look at Dustin Brown again if he fell into free agency during his time that he was demoted. Like, Brown, don't get me wrong, still cold, but if you hold on the top line, and I think he will, he could regain rosterable value before long, which means that Quinton Byfield might be stuck on the outside looking in of a productive spot in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of ifs there. It's tough to say. Brown does actually have an assist today on an Adrian Campe goal, so that's good. A good game for him. And yeah, you're right that maybe someone to look out for if he was dropped now that he's back on the top line. Of course, I think he got back there partially because Athanasiu, like, left, you know? And so, who knows when everyone's fully healthy, what the plan is. Like, for me, it's kind of like you broke the seal. Like, once we've seen that LA is willing to drop him to the bottom six, I wonder if it's, like, the next opportunity they get, they'll do it again. Or maybe they'll be like, oh, that was terrible. What were we thinking? Like, let's never split up Brown and 
Kopitar again. So I guess we'll have to wait and see once the team is healthy. Uh, and we'll see how long it takes to wait for that. So, okay, let's go to Minnesota. Good news and bad news here. Okay, Freddie Goudreau is in the COVID protocol. He's been having a decent season. Uh, good news is that Jared Spurgeon will likely be back soon. And the great news is that Matt Zuccarello returned after missing a couple games on Thursday. And he's been awesome. He had a goal and an assist and seven shots in his two games since returning. Right back with Kirill on the top line and top power play. Also with Ryan Hartman. Uh, Joel Eriksson was also on that top power play and Eunice Brodine. Uh, but anyway, Zuccarello is now up to 18 points in 18 games on the year. And like, why not? Like, why wouldn't he be? Like, he's playing with Kaprizov, who is now up to 17 points in his last eight games. Over two points per game in his last eight games for Kirill Kaprizov. So he is the, like, the most amazing stud and definitely at the point where anyone playing with him, you know, we were saying, I was saying like Trevor Zegras is someone that I'm going to want anyone playing with him. So obviously like Kaprizov is like at a level much higher than that at this point. Zuccarello's only 31% rostered on Yahoo. I honestly can't imagine not wanting him in like any format at this point. Like he's with Kaprizov in all situations. He's at a point per game. Uh, so yeah. He's great. And of course, the main story here is that Kirill has taken a big step forward, even beyond. He, he won the Calder last year. You'd think that's pretty good. But now he's like already surpassing that by a lot. He's like on pace for like 100 points at this point. So uh, exciting stuff over in Minnesota. And by the way, before we get asked, and I think we already got asked in the chat here today. Yeah, Kevin Fiala, still cold. He's the one person not enjoying the Kaprizov exposure. Uh, all I'll say for that is like, you know, Fiala has like five, 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 and six shots. Like he's taking five plus shots every game and nothing's going going in so to me that's always the sign that i'm not going to drop the player just because he's taking like so many shots i understand why some people are getting frustrated but i'd be a lot more frustrated if it was like a situation like some of the other players we've talked about where they're just like not like you know bjorkstrand like not shooting at all like fiala's shooting like if a couple of these goals get in we're not even having this conversation so for sure but they're not and they seem to they seem to not and we've been preaching patience on fiala all season long and i've tried to buy low in a few leagues and failed and i think i'm actually at the point where i wouldn't buy low anymore like i'd just be like okay not my problem i still think fiala is going to be good but i'm at the point where i'm not really willing to take him on just in case but like you said elon everything still looks good under the hood i still believe in him for all the reasons i did before i might just be willing to uh not put my money where my mouth is in the same way that i would have a couple weeks ago because of how long fiala has not uh rewarded my faith and patience in him but Matt zuccarello i mean you know he was rosterable often uh last year alongside caprizov too and we pointed out last year that zuccarello was producing at an unsustainable pace after he came back from an injury, was tearing it up with Kaprizov. Um, and it was also like a point-per-game pace like he's doing now. But this time around for Zuccarello, it, it does look similarly unsustainable. But as you said, with how amazing Kaprizov is, it's hard to imagine Zuccarello being below a 60-point pace when he gets to play alongside Kaprizov at 5-on-5 five five and on the power play. So Zuccarello sure does seem like a must-roster. Yeah, like to me, like 60 point pace would even be surprising to me. Like if Kaprizov keeps this up, like it's kind of like Hyman on Edmonton. Like, I don't know, like Hyman's obviously a really good player, but like with the deployment he's getting, you expect like maybe for him to be even better. And I don't know why that name just came to my mind. I think because he just, I see that he assisted on this Darnell Nurse shorthanded goal. Uh, Also in Minnesota, Kapokakanen got two games in a row last week, which was surprising, right? He barely played all season. Then all of a sudden he got in versus Arizona and New Jersey and he crushed both of those games. He did really well. Stopped 29 of 31 in both of those wins. Talbot had a good game on Saturday versus Toronto. So I don't know. It's interesting 
thing just to see. Like, it's been basically Talbot all season long with Kakanen barely getting a shot. Maybe now Coach Eveson saw something in Kakanen's, like, practices that said, okay, now he's ready. I, I'm curious if it, it could get up to 50-50 because Kakanen looked good or if this was just, like, randomly they decided, ah, let's give him two games in a row. Like, he did well, right? So you'd think he gets back in the net, and if he does well again, who knows what could happen. So... I don't really have a prediction here, and I don't know if you can either, but it's just interesting to see all of a sudden things change in how they're deploying their goalies this past week. Yeah, I have a prediction about Minnesota and that the, the time share it's not going to go to 50-50. Maybe it'll lean a bit more towards Kakinen. I mean, like you said, Talbot was starting the lion's share. He'd started 17 of 23 games for Minnesota before Kakinen got these back-to-back starts, and Talbot even not starting either of those games, still ranks eighth in the NHL in both games started and minutes played. And Talbot in that time has been good. 9.15 save percentage, 13-5 and five record. So I don't think Minnesota is getting dissatisfied with Cam Talbot. I think it might have just been time for a rest. But now that Kakinen has had a nice pair of starts, I still think the workload tilts heavily towards Cam Talbot, assuming there's no other reason we're not privy to that Cam Talbot needed a break, but I'm not about to recalibrate my crease expectations significantly for Minnesota. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, let's go to Montreal now. Uh, we already talked about Kale Clegg, so let's not do that again. Uh, they have more injuries, right? It's not only Jeff Petrie who's out. Josh Anderson was on a nice little run, so obviously a bummer to see him suffer an upper body injury. It's going to keep him out two to four weeks. Brendan Gallagher is on the COVID protocol. He tested positive, so he's going to be out 10 days at least. Uh, I guess on the plus side, Mike Hoffman is back, and he had six shots in the OT loss to Nashville on Saturday. No points, though. He's playing with Suzuki and Evans at even strength, which I guess should be good, but we've talked about Suzuki being cold before. Uh, Hoffman has seven points in 14 games, averaging almost three shots per game, so that's nice. I guess uh, a good piece of news on the score sheet is Cole Caulfield has four assists in his last four games after a two-assist performance on Saturday. He's been playing with Toffoli and Dvorak and playing around 50% of the power play time, so... You never know. Like, Caulfield is someone who we were super high on early in the season. Now, at this point, I see him in free agency in all my leagues, and, like, I just browse through him, you know? Like, I scroll through him. I'm, like, not interested. But, like, obviously, he has the high upside. We can't totally forget all that we were excited about. Obviously, the line mates, like, they're not as exciting as we hoped. But who knows? Maybe this is the start of something. Four points in his last four games. Do you think that this is potentially the start of Caulfield going on a run, or do you think this is the kind of thing where he'll now go quiet again and we'll forget about him for a while? I'm definitely interested in Cole Caulfield. I just still don't know if the infrastructure is there in Montreal for Cole Caulfield to succeed. Like we've seen him start some really exciting plays and carry them through, but I I don't think that's something we can count on Caulfield to do often. And so we're looking for someone else to start the play. And Montreal's had trouble all year getting plays started. And also with Caulfield, keep in mind, he's played fewer than 13 minutes in three of his last four games. So his deployment isn't great. They're really bringing him along slowly. And that's not what can get someone really fantasy relevant production so i don't know that you need to jump on now i would be keeping a close eye out though because the the upside and potential that we saw at the start of the season is still there we're just taking a different route to try and get it yeah it's interesting we just talked about quinton byfield and now we're talking about cole caulfield so we'll see two players who might not get the opportunity that we'd want them to get to reach their full potential but it's up to them to i guess earn that opportunity and so we'll see how they do uh caulfield now already, already like starting to heat up and we'll see how byfield does when he finally gets in the roster uh, okay over to nashville look at them no injuries of significance and ben and lewis already chronicled how amazing forsberg has been uh we talked about ryan johansson last week and about duchene and granlin like for a bunch of weeks so i think we're pretty good on nashville like how about this 
because I'll point out Ellie Tolvanen scored his first goal since the season opener on Saturday. This guy is averaging almost three shots per game, but just hasn't been able to score. So kind of like a Fiala situation. Potentially, it's been a bit of bad luck. He was someone we were excited about last year. I remember you labeled him as like the guy who saved the power play in Nashville that year. Obviously, now they're getting a lot of players who are helping with that power play. So they don't need only Tolvanen to save them. But yeah, I'm just curious if he's just had a bit of bad puck luck with all these shots, nothing going in. And now that he's gotten one in, I wonder if that, you know, also breaks the seal. I think I used a different analogy for that before. But yeah, maybe that's the start of a little bit of, of a run for Tolvanen, who has been getting decent deployment. And now we'll see what he can do now that he scored his first goal of the year or first goal since the opener. It would be nice. You know, we've seen, as you said, Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne, Mikhail Granlund jump back into being fantasy relevant. It'd be nice for Tolvanen to join them. And Tolvanen, to his credit, he's shooting a ton more than last year at five on five and from better spots, but only seeing half the success rate, four and a half percent shooting success for Tolvanen this year versus 10% last year. Uh, I'll caution, you know, anyone making that comparison between on on the same number of shots between this year and last year. He has two goals this year versus 11 goals last year. Last year, Tolvanen had more time and opportunity on the power plays. That helped his conversion rate and helped him get to 11 goals. So I don't think that Tolvanen should have nine more goals because he's taken the same amount of shots as last year. So he should have the same number of goals. But maybe Tolvanen could have like a couple more at five on five and a couple more on the power play if life were being completely fair to him, which brings him, you know, to six goals on the season, which is nice and would make him at least more often streamable, if not rosterable. Tolvanen also uh, has low points participation. So there's a lot of reasons to think that Tolvanen has room to grow but his ice time needs to grow with him. It, it hasn't been great this season. It's just been okay. Uh, I imagine if maybe Tolvanen catches in a bit more, as we think he should, that ice time will go up. Uh, this is all to say, like, I, I don't think Tolvanen's on the verge of this giant breakout, but agree he should be doing better than he is and might be someone to keep an eye on as like a deep, deep, deeper roster, like a depth scoring addition. Yeah, I wanted to bring him up because all the other Nashville players seem to be you know, bouncing back from being bad for a while. So why can't Tolvanen be the next one, right? Okay, over in New Jersey, basically good news here. One of the rare teams where we don't have big injury news. It's outjury news. Jack Hughes is back. Uh, so everyone's healthy now, aside from, I guess, Miles Wood, who's obviously not a big fantasy contributor. The Lions on Friday in the 8-4 loss to Winnipeg. And again, I'm going to tell you Lions from an 8-4 loss, which means that's ripe to be shaken up because that's not a good result. Uh, but yeah, they had Hughes playing with Mercer and Janssen. So interesting that Dawson Mercer was on that really hot line with Janssen and Jesper Bratt, but I guess they decided to shake that up and clearly it didn't go uh, too well in that game. Then Nico Hishir has been playing with Zaka and Jesper Bratt and then Tatar back in the bottom six. Uh, the top power play was Zaka, Hishir, Bratt, Hughes, and of course Hamilton as the QB. But of course, like I said, things will likely change. Brian, if you had to pick right now, there's a lot of devils that have been really good. We've talked about a bunch of them over the year. If you had to pick one player starting now till the end of the year assuming no injuries who's going to lead the team in points from now till the end of the year currently the leader is Jesper Bratt who has 19 points in 22 games Andreas Janssen right behind him with 18 points Hughes has four points in five games so if you average that out it would be right around Bratt and Janssen in terms of point pace but obviously uh you know that's a very small sample size but also he's he's Jack Hughes he's the guy who we expect going into the year to lead the team Right. And so I still am going to expect Jack Hughes to lead New Jersey in scoring. But I will say, I think Jesper Brad is very much for real. His five on five production has been so impressive. Brad has 19 points in 22 games. Only two of those 19 points coming on the power play. 
which is really super impressive for Jesper Brad at five on five. Maybe he doesn't quite continue the 70 point pace he's on, but I could see Brad holding 60 and being rosterable straight through to the end of the season. Though, of course, we'll see if these new line combos work as well for Brad as his line with Dawson Mercer and Andres Janssen did. Speaking of Dawson Mercer, he's been so quiet. Uh, the last few games, especially since he's been back, he's been bumped all around the lineup. Now he's playing with Jack Hughes. I was very ready to drop Dawson Mercer, but I'm now uh, going to hold on. Maybe another game or two. I think he plays Monday just to see how he does on line one or line 1A playing with Jack Hughes. Of course, you've got Nico Heischer on the other line too, who's not going to lead the team in scoring, but maybe one day we'll put up the points. I've always hoped he would. But yeah, uh, odds to lead the team the rest of the season. I will go Hughes and then uh, count Bratt very much in the race. Yeah, good for Jesper Bratt. He's always like interested in us in, in short spurts. And now, yeah, he's doing it so far for a long stretch. And we'll see if he can keep it up. He's also had some injury troubles over the years. So not to jinx anything. I really hope he could actually play a full season. Over on the Islanders, Brock Nelson's still likely out a couple of weeks with his lower body injury. Ryan Pulak is also out long term with a lower body injury of his own. Uh, so, okay, that's nothing new. Uh, the new thing is that Matt Barzell has gotten off the schneid. He had a goal and two assists in his last couple of games after going pointless and in five games games he's still pacing for a career low 47 point pace with 11 points in 19 games overall that was going into today uh, the islanders are now losing to chicago two to one and barzal did oh he got a power play assist so there you go so like that, they got three straight games in a row where he's producing so maybe there was a buy low opportunity at some point and now it's over though at the same point we've talked about him before and said how we don't want to set the ceiling too high because this islanders team just doesn't score that many goals his career low i asked you for some other players if they're going to beat their career highs like seth jones so matt barzal's career low low is 62 points in terms of a pace in his sophomore season do you think he's going to beat his career low this year or is he going to set a new low mark because right now he's pacing for well below so here's the thing i was expecting to look at matt barzell's number and see like a lot of sadness but he's actually doing really well from one perspective and that's shooting and scoring barzell has career high shot rates shot attempt rates and expected goals rates and goals per 60 rates uh that's amazing, but this is all coming at the expense of a few assists, I'd guess. And I'm not 100% sure where those assists have gone. Like, he's not missing many. If you give Barzal, I don't know, four more assists, five more assists, that gets him up to our preseason expectations of him. So I don't think he's far off. And his on-ice shooting percentage has been a little low. So maybe another couple goals should have been scored while he's on the ice. And maybe he should have gotten an assist on those. Uh, a couple things I have noticed that maybe are a little bit of cause for concern to think that maybe he will match his career low numbers. Barzal is down about 40 seconds a night on average of ice time. And the bigger story, actually, is he's down two minutes a night from the 1920 season where Barzell paced for above 70 points. Barzell's, like the offense, the Islanders' offense, while Barzell's on the ice, both the expected and actual numbers are lower than past years. So the Isles' offense, ineffective or less effective when Barzell's on the ice than in the past. And as I mentioned, Barzell's on ice shooting percentage is lower than past years. It's down below 7%. I, I think, you know, Elon, you mentioned how the Isles are losing to Chicago right now, two to one. Uh, the Isles are a mess. Like, this is shocking. They've been so good and steady for so long. And it's such a weird start to the season with that crazy long road trip and all these weird schedule quirks and uh, new arena and postponed games. 
It's been a disaster, and I do trust that the Islanders can turn things around at some point. I just hope it happens soon. Uh, I think Barzell could recover to be on a 65-point pace the rest of the season. Uh, my my advice to anybody looking at Barzell right now is that it's it's not as bad as it looks for him. I know it feels worse, though, because waiting on an aisle to do anything for you, uh, we've all been through a lot, <laughs> any, any one of us who does own an Islander. So... I I would preach patience with Barzell and say I'm not expecting him to have like a career worst season. I still think he can pace for 65 points. The Isles as a team need to turn it around and he'll be able to do fine once they do that. And I have faith that Barry Trotz will figure it out. Okay, so we'll see. I guess, yeah, like I said, he started to turn it around already. Uh, don't feel too bad about them losing to Chicago. Marc-Andre Fleury has been one of the top goalies in the league over the past month or so. So why shouldn't they have trouble scoring against him? Also, we had a person in the chat here, Hunter Mooney, uh, brought up that uh, for our Seth Jones conversation, that uh, Chicago's been doing something interesting with their power play. They've been having sort of a 1A, 1B power play. And actually today, Eric Gustafsson has a lot more power play time than Seth Jones. So obviously, if that continues, that puts a bit of a damper on our excitement for Seth Jones, if he's lost the top power player, doesn't have that like super high percentage, but also he's Eric Gustafson. It's hard to imagine it'll last, though the last time it did last for him, it was in Chicago. So something to watch. Uh, maybe don't go sell the farm for Seth Jones just yet, just like Brian already said you shouldn't, but he did say that the power play points will be there. So that's, a, I don't know, whatever. It's just one game so far. Uh, okay, so next up, let's go to the Rangers. So yeah, Iker Shostjorkin suffered a lower body injury versus San Jose on Friday. Looked like he couldn't put any weight on his right leg, and people were saying this looks really bad, but the latest news is good. Coach Gallant said that he'll be ready to return in a week so I guess it just like looked bad but it's fine still in the meantime uh, the Rangers play four times next week against Chicago Colorado, Buffalo, and Nashville. So varying levels of difficulty. And Alex Georgiev is now going to be your short-term starter. Brian, are we recommending him? Like, how interested are we in Alex Georgiev? He's had a few rough starts on the year, but was great on Saturday uh, in the 3-2 win over Chicago, stopping 25 of 27. So, you know, if people need a goalie, I guess what did we mentioned before? Who is it on Buffalo? That Oh, Uka Pekka Lukanen. Let's say if he and Georgiev... I mean, Rangers are clearly better. Of course we'd want Georgiev, right? The Rangers are better offensively, but they're actually worse defensively. The Rangers are a bottom three defensive team in the league. And Georgiev is a goalie who's like super volatile. He can look really awesome or really awful. And I think this all just points out the work that Chesterkin has been doing in the Rangers crease. I, I don't know, you know, if he's just been saving their butts or they're playing a style where they know he's they're going to be able to rely on Chesterkin to save them when they give up some high quality chances. So uh, Georgiev has four starts coming up. I can see two really awesome ones and two really awful ones, really. He's this volatile kind of guy. He's one week's and last week's, probably not an NHL starter, but uh, yeah, I, I would rather him than Georgiev. I'll say that just because I, I think he has a better chance of picking up the W, but I don't think, oh, sorry, I think I'd rather Georgiev than Uko Pekalukinen because he's got a better chance of picking up the win, but I, I think rate stats might be as much up in the air as UPL. Oh. I don't know. Uh, maybe call me old fashioned. I just would take Georgiev because UPL, like who even knows if he's good or not. I would also yeah. take Georgiev if I'm picking for my own team. Yeah. Okay. So uh, next up in Ottawa, another team with no new injury lo- news. They had a good week and actually had an outjury in Drake Batherson back from COVID and he's looked good. He's had assists in each of his last couple of games uh, while he was overshadowed by Kachuk and Stutzla's two goal and one assist games versus Colorado, as well as Josh Norris's one goal and one assist for performance on Saturday. Uh, Batherson actually still leads the team with eight 
18 points in 17 games, even though he's like missed time. He still leads the team in points, uh, though Norris and Kachuk are nipping at his heels with 17 and 16 points apiece. Brian, do you think Batherson could keep up this torrid start to the season now? Like he's, you know, being a point per game guy, he's right back to the top line, top power play. Uh, how sustainable is this run by Batherson so far? I think it's sustainable. We talked about Batherson not that long ago, and I went through the reasons why I thought he had this new 70-point upside for this season compared to the 55-60 points I had him at preseason, and all of that still holds since the last time we talked about him. So no change on me believing a lot in Drake Batherson. Okay, so over in Philly, here we go. Now the pain's going to continue with the injury. So Joel Farabee had finally started to get going. He had goals in three straight games before getting hurt on Wednesday with a shoulder injury, and he's out week to week. Derek Broussard was also on a nice run of two straight multi-point games before he got hurt a couple weeks ago, so he may be back soon. On the positive side, Kevin Hayes is back and has been centering a second line with Konechny and Frost, and Philly played today, and they got destroyed by Tampa 7-1. to By the way, Toronto destroying Winnipeg right now. Well, not destroying, but it's 5-3. to three. It's getting to a point now where you just want to avoid playing goalies against Toronto and Tampa, maybe. I know that John Reed, my friend, uh, asked in our patron Discord server if he should start Carter Hart against Tampa today, and everyone was like, yeah, start him. Like, you know, usually goalies don't do so bad that they get negative points. Then he got, like, totally rocked. So that sucked for Carter Hart. Sorry about that, John, and also me, because I have him in one of my leagues. And then Martin Jones came in, and he was also not that great. Uh, anyway, what was I talking about here? Oh, yeah, so Philly. I don't know. They have injuries. They lost this game. Oh, yeah, I was going to tell you the Lions because Kevin Hayes is back and he was centering a line uh, and he is still playing on that line, right? So it's Hayes, Konechny, Frost, and then Atkinson with Giroux and Couturier, which seems like it should be a good line. And actually, the one goal that Philly did score was scored by Kem Atkinson. It was on the power play. He's also been on the top power play. It was assisted by Yandel and Giroux. Uh, but of course, after a 7-1 loss, maybe everything gets shaken up. And of course, Couturier still just as cold as he was before. So it's getting harder and harder to be excited about him. But hopefully he turns things around. Uh, and then what do we have here? On D, Ryan Ellis is also still out. So again, more injuries for Philly out with his lower body injury. Still five years left after this one at $6.25 million per year. And he's starting to look like a bit of a Band-Aid boy, as Dauber would say. So I wonder if Philly's starting to get a little nervous about that. But hopefully he'll be back soon. It's interesting, right? Ellis, Yandel, Ristolainen, all like newcomers to the team this year. And the only D-man worth rostering at the moment is old reliable Ivan Provorov, who was doing nothing all year, but got going a bit, like four points in his previous six games going into today. Uh, so, Brian, what do you think? I don't know. Like, let's say, here's a question about Philly. I brought up a bunch of the forwards here. Let's say you have, like, Atkinson and Kevin Hayes, both in free agency. They're both rostered around the same spot. I actually added Atkinson recently in the couple when Hayes was available. Uh, who would you rather between those two? Just to, like, give one question about uh, Philly. Sure, yeah, they're in their tailspin right now, right? It's brutal. There are eight straight losses, including tonight's against Tampa. The goals are going to come to this Flyers team, uh, We've talked about how painful it has been last week for the Flyers, or like for the last while. On the last episode, we talked about how painful it's been for Philly and how the team has deserved better, and we're going to see more value coming from these guys. It's just a matter of time, but yeah, it's frustrating waiting. You're asking about Atkinson and Hayes. Atkinson's a guy who's often found himself in good spots to produce, but never quite delivers in a consistent way and I like Hayes more as like a well-rounded player if not necessarily with the same offensive ceiling honestly Elon I think it's even odds between them and I'd be interested in both I think I'd lean maybe very slightly to Kevin Hayes although Atkinson uh, did well today 
it was involved in the one filthy goal that was scored. So maybe I prefer him. Uh, The bottom line is that, yeah, all of these, like, it's been really frustrating, but there might be some future value to be found in those free Philly flyers hanging out in free agency, because one day they're going to start scoring and winning again. Yeah, like, I, that's a really good way to put it. Uh, free Philly Flyers. And yeah, like, I don't know. I was excited to see Atkinson dropped in the couple. So I jumped on him. And he's, you know, he's doing okay. Obviously, uh, this team, like I said, is in a tailspin. They'll change things around. But obviously, generally, I wouldn't want to argue with someone playing with Giroux and Couturier. So we'll see if that lasts and if they can figure some things out. By the way, I got it wrong. It's uh, Winnipeg is beating Toronto 5-3. to three. Still Connor Hellebuck not having the best game. It's only been 23 shots against he's letting uh, three goals. All right, so over to Pittsburgh. So Brian Rust is week-to-week with a lower body injury. So he joins Malkin on the shelf, who is making progress. So that's good news for Malkin. Uh, there was a, it was a huge game for the big guns on the Penguins on Saturday in the 4-1 win over Vancouver. Gensel had a hat-trick and an assist. Crosby had a goal and two assists. Latang three assists. Uh, Jeff Carter coming up the rear with a power play assist. Uh, the other player playing with these guys is Evan Rodriguez, who didn't get a point, but he had five shots in this game and six shots in, in the previous game along with an assist. So to me, it seems pretty clear that these are the players I just mentioned. Those are the only players that are worth rostering in any fantasy league at this point from Pittsburgh. Crosby, Gensel, Latang, Jeff Carter, and then Evan Rodriguez in your deeper leagues while he's playing on the top line and top power play with Crosby and Gensel. So if you're holding, this is an easy question for you, Brian. If you're holding Zucker, Kapanen, like anyone else that I haven't mentioned, you're totally snoozing and you don't know what you're doing, right? <laughs> well, I mean, let's not be so rude, but yeah, Kapanen, there's nothing there. He's on the third line. Zucker, he's playing 15 minutes a night, decent shots. He's actually hitting and blocking a little bit too. So Zucker makes an okay deep league option. But yeah, most leagues you don't want either of these guys. Yeah, okay. So then in San Jose, another fully healthy team. Woo! Actually, I wrote that, and then I realized I spoke too soon because the news came out this afternoon that uh, Rudolph Balsers has a lower body injury. So it ended up being uh, Noah Gregor and Alex Barabanov playing on the second line with Tomas Hurdle. So nice opportunity for them. Uh, did either of them do anything today? They lost 6-4 to four to Columbus, as we discussed, where Oliver Bjorkstrand got no points. Gregor, no points. Barabanov had an assist. So good for him. The big games were from Meyer and uh, Matthew Nieto, who both had a couple of assists. Though Really, the excitement came from the defense. Uh, first of all, shout out to Eric Carlson, our bay, our favorite player, who has started to run hot again. Five points in his last six games going into today. And he scored a goal today. So EK65 keeps on rolling. And I was going to bring up how Brent Burns has totally disappeared. So before, going into today, this guy is just like collapsed, like like a Couture from last year or like a Bjorkstrand from this year. Right? He started the season with 12 points in 13 games, but then has went like pointless in 11 games. And while he took four shots versus the Rangers on Saturday, before that, he went six games in a row with only zero or one shots, which is crazy because he was taking like six plus shots in a lot of games to start the year. So it's another one of these things where you wonder if he's injured, though the good news is uh, today... He got on the score sheet for the first time in a really long time. He scored a goal assisted by Nieto and Meyer. He took three shots, which, you know, isn't anything to write home about, but it's obviously nice compared to what he had been doing in the previous few games. So, you know, not to say that Brent Burns is back. If anything, this is one of those rare opportunities. Like you said, I think about someone else earlier in the show, oh, about Reinhardt. Maybe, like, if you see that there's actually a problem with him under the hood, then after one good game, that's when you try to flip him before he runs cold again. So what do you think about Burns in this crazy cold streak? It's not awesome, right? And Ben and Lewis actually did a really good job on Brent Burns on uh, an episode of Short Shifts this week. If you're not listening, you're missing out. And I agree with what Ben and Lewis said. We just can't 
expect the same thing we used to expect from Brent Burns. Hopefully he's still rosterable. But yeah, it's hard to hold on to Brent Burns when he goes, like you mentioned, six games with zero or one shots. But that was part of a bigger nine game run where he had zero or one shots in eight of those nine games. Like this went on for a long time. Uh, I guess just a little longer than six games, but still uh, 40 points. Maybe you could expect from Brent Burns, maybe 45, maybe a couple shots per game averaged out, but nothing exciting. So yeah, if you can find anyone who's really interested in like a 37 or 36 year old Brent Burns, I would try and uh, sell him for any value you can get back. Like you could hold on to him. Like he is rosterable in the cupful. That's the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, kkupfl.com for more info. But like barely, he's not someone I would be excited to have on my roster. Like, to me, I want to get the serial music going, like, because I just don't get how he started the year, like, as one of the hottest defensemen in the league, taking a crap load of shots, and now he yeah. just takes no shots. So to me, this, like, indicates one of these, like, weird something else is going on situations. Like, I, if it was me, I'd hold on, and especially now that he's had three and four shots in each of his last couple of games, so maybe something was nagging, and it's finally better, but it's so hard to speculate. Uh, I'd love to just, like, I wish, why can't we be journalists in the NHL? Like, don't you think the questions that they ask in these post-game news conferences are so boring and useless? Like, how did it feel scoring that goal or like how, how are you coping with being on a call like i want to be like brant burns you were taking seven or six shots per game in a lot of games to start the year and then you started doing zero or one shots for a seven game span or whatever like what do you think is the reason is it because you're injured like why can't someone just ask an actually useful question for us why do we have to speculate <laughs> so anyways that's my little rant there yeah about, and no no offense to shang pang like I, he's a good journalist but may, maybe you're not allowed to ask these types of questions but I, I like this is really weird this doesn't happen how does yeah, yeah. Yeah. 50, anyway. 50 shots for Brent Burns in his first 14 games, only 10 shots in the 10 games since then, plus a few more tonight. But yeah, maybe actually they have answered. To be fair, I haven't listened to any San Jose <laughs> news conferences. I'm just guessing that they have, like if there's any Sharks fans here, tell me like maybe they asked the coach and the coach was like, yeah, we're trying a different style now. It wasn't working with Burns shooting so much that, so, you know, maybe that would explain it. And then maybe they've changed back. So who knows? So I'll, I'm interested to watch and see a little longer before I recommend dropping him outright in most leagues. Okay, Seattle. And yeah, so they've been hit with some injuries lately. Jaden Schwartz uh, had a lower body injury. So did Jordan Eberly. I think that they're both like on track to be back soon. Like Eberly was practicing. I think Schwartz as well. So that might be a short term thing. Mark Giordano has been on the COVID protocol. Can we stop here though on Giordano? Like I saw that he's, uh, I saw news today that's saying he might be back soon. So I don't, I don't know exactly what that means. If it's next game or maybe like sometime next week or the following week. But he was dropped in tier one of uh, the couple. And I, like, as I chronicled at the start of the show, I, I stupidly used a move to add him, figuring I didn't need to use my moves that much this week because I liked how my lineup looked. Uh, so I added him just to stash him in the IR because he was like a guy who we, people were interested in drafting. And like, he's been solid enough this year. Like, he started the year with seven points in 12 games, uh, which is like a high 40s point pace. Uh, but then he went ice cold before getting sick. He was pointless in seven games. He was on the top power play during that time, and he was still taking some shots and like having his like solid enough block numbers. So, Brian, I'm curious, like, what should we be expecting from him? I guess this is like getting to be a trend here of players who just were like hot. You know, Bjorkstrand, Brent Burns, now Giordano started the year hot, totally disappeared. Do you think that Giordano lands around the middle as like a forty-ish point defenseman, or do you think that he like isn't that special and he's really old, like older than Brent Burns, and we shouldn't really be expecting much offense from him at all anymore? Because the top power play, I don't know, it seems good. Like Burns versus Giordano, who would you take? 
it's going to be, well, to answer your question about what's wrong with Giordano, whether like he's getting old or thing like he's getting bad or he's unlucky. It's, it's a mix of it all. I think like Giordano, especially is getting hurt on the power play where uh, the unit is shooting less than 9% with the man advantage in Seattle, which is uh, bad. Like that's worse than some teams shoot at five on five. So he's not getting any help from his power play role at five on five low sh- on ice shooting percentage too for Giordano. He's been relieved of his penalty kill role for whatever that's worth. Um, Maybe that means some fewer blocks. So he's doing okay there. And yeah, Giordano's just getting old. He turned 38 in October. Uh, the nice little bit for Giordano, three or more shots in five of his last eight games. But not a lot of points to show for it. And I think it really is a mix of Giordano not being as good as he once was and also not getting bounces on the ice. I, I don't see much reason you're like asking if he's about a 40-point guy. Yeah. I think that makes sense. And his shots and blocks like Brent Burns could make him worth holding in leagues where that's rewarded enough. If you're asking me to pick between Burns and Giordano, maybe Giordano has the bigger power play role. So I'll lean towards him. But Burns is 18 months younger. And I feel like that matters when you're 36 and 38 years old. So I think it's really close between the two. This is just like we've seen a steady decline from both these guys as their careers wrap up. And I just think they're guys who are going to be pretty boring on your roster, still barely rosterable in some leagues. So don't pull the plug completely. But uh, yeah, it's time to start looking for other options and not get uh, not just assume that things are going to go well for them if you are holding them. That's fair. I guess like if I wanted to be like the glass half full, kind of like these are the types of guys that are now going to be dropping to your free agency and they could be like just solid, hopefully peripheral with still some upside since they are still deployed in an offensive role. So maybe if like if you're hurting for D, now's the time to take a swing on a Burns or Giordano if they're out there. But yeah, obviously we're not expecting the the glory days from either of those guys. Okay, in St. Louis, again, more injuries. Of course, the injury show. Uh, David Perron suffered an upper body injury back on November 26th versus Chicago. Hasn't played since. Justin Falk was on a really nice run five points in five games even without getting power play opportunities but then he went on the COVID protocol after I had used all of my moves like I said so now hopefully he'll be back soon but who knows uh, Falk joined Jordan Bennington who Ben and Lewis already talked about earlier this week who's on the COVID protocol he's going to miss a bunch of games over the next couple of weeks uh, Vili Huso didn't have a great game versus Tampa on Thursday but like I said I'm, I'm getting to a point where I'm not going to blame goalies when they have bad games against Tampa in fact I wonder it, it would be a cool feature on Frozen Tools to like be able to like not count opponents when looking at a goalie's save percentage. Like I want to see who's so save percentage versus Tampa and not versus Tampa. And then, you know, be able to just like discount those games. I also want to be able to not count uh, overtime goals against to just get a better sense how, of how I think the goalie will do in, under normal circumstances. I don't know, Brian, if you think this is a useful feature or not for us to do our player analyses. Uh, but anyways, Huso did well in the next game against Florida on Saturday. He led in only three goals on the 51 shots he faced. So he just got peppered by the Panthers and he held his own. So that was really good. Brian, if you want a temporary starter due to injury over the next week or two, who do you like between Huso and Georgiev, who we had above Uko Pekalukanen? Yeah, I it, well, I was going to just go by team defense. And you want to know something crazy? Team defense this year does not look the way I expected. Vegas is letting up the most expected goals against per 60 minutes this season, which is uncharacteristic of them. Uh, St. Louis ranks 29th and expected goals against per 60 minutes. And then you have Columbus, Carolina, and Montreal, 27th, 26th, and 25th, expected goals against per 60 minutes. These are all teams with strong defensive reputations. So I was going to say that Huso, I would prefer him to Georgiev because the St. Louis defense, and we just said the Rangers are bottom third defensive team in the league. But my assumption that St. Louis was better than that 
is wrong. They're worse defensively at five on five than the Rangers. So I looked at Huso's schedule, which has Florida, Detroit, Montreal, and Anaheim. I feel like there's a similar strength of schedule there to the Rangers. So I think, I think my gut says Huso, just because I think maybe he's a, a smidge better goalie than Georgiev, but I don't think there's anything real to pick between them. So uh, flip a coin. Okay, that's fair. Maybe you could also say, I think Huso's going to have the net a little longer than Georgiev, if what Galant is saying is true, and she has Jorkin is back in just a week. So maybe that's another reason to go Huso, because you're gonna get a few more games. Uh, by the way, Tori Krug and Braden Shen both had like another pointless week. We highlighted them both being on cold streaks last week, and it just continues, right? So if you were worried about them before, just obviously people are even more worried now. Braden Shen, I've pretty much lost all my patience in. And it looks like Scott Prunovich has been getting a significant amount of power play time and taking power play time from Tori Krug we were chatting on discord about how like is it actually power play one or has it just been that for some reason power play two has been getting more time than power play one just randomly over the last couple of games and that's why it looks like Perunovic has been getting more power play time than Krug either way Krug's doing nothing and Perunovic put up three power play assists in his past three games over this past week and he's up to five points in ten games overall and again Tori Krug doing absolutely nothing so while we were only mildly concerned about Krug last week are the alarm bells ringing much louder now especially with uh uh, Scott Prunovich showing that he might be better than Krug or at least someone that can challenge for that job. Remember Prunovich, when he first got called up, everyone was losing their minds because he was like leading the AHL in, in points, like as a defenseman. So now he's up in the NHL. He's been producing in his last three games. I wonder if this is a actual threat to Tory Krug that makes his cold streak all the more alarming uh, if he's potentially going to lose that power play spot. I'm really not sure what's happening in St. Louis with Krug being periodically bumped off that top unit so many times since arriving as a blue. And now, yeah, we have Perunovic here. Last time he didn't do a whole lot after we all ran to add him because we thought he'd be quarterbacking the power play for a bit. Maybe this time will be different, Elon. Like you said, we've already seen some good production from him. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know the reasons why Krug isn't holding this top power play role. We've seen the Blues not be 100% satisfied with Krug, though. So sure, let's see what Perunovic does. I, I'm just not sure why you have Tori Krug if you're not going to have him play that role. It's like having Tyson Barry and not playing him on the top power play. Like that's that's the whole point of having this guy or or big part of it. But I know that's that's a fantasy adjacent. We just want to know, should he run to Perunovic? I would say that Krug has lost this job even just temporarily, but enough times that, yeah, it is uh, something I'm wondering. Is is Krug not long for this role, especially if Prunovich can step in? So I am interested. And if you're looking for a D-ad, like, you know, someone like maybe he's in the Jamie Drysdale category, at least for the short term. Give him a few games. We'll see if he holds the role. And if he does, you're really happy about it. Yeah, Drysdale's someone I wish I added in a couple of leagues, and now it's too late, and he's been really good lately. So yeah, Prunovich could, that's a really good comparison. I think Prunovich could be the next Drysdale that people might regret not having added when they had the chance, or who knows, or he struggles and someone goes back to the minors. But he's someone I would definitely take a swing on right now if I wasn't afraid of using up my moves too quickly. Uh, over in Tampa Bay, uh, so I already said they're having another big game. Point and Kucherov are still out, though. The latest on Kucherov is that he's been skating, and uh, here's a quote from that I saw, I think, on uh, NBC Sports Edge. He seems to be on track for a return around Christmas or the New Year, that's soon. 
Like my company's having a Christmas party next week, so I know that this is coming soon. And that means that, or I believe they're calling it the holiday party. But either way, that means that Kucherov might be back within a month. So very exciting if you've been having to have him on your IR all year. Uh, the only injury I could see here that happened recently is Cernak is day to day. I don't know, not worth much though. Speaking of the Tampa D, Mikhail Sergachev is doing really well lately. He has seven points in his last eight games. You brought him up earlier as like a you know boring but steady forty-ish point guy. He's now actually up to thirteen points in twenty-one games. That's a fifty-one point pace. You know, obviously on the heels of this really hot run. Are we like bought in a little more now on Sergachev? Maybe he could be the fifty-point defenseman that we thought he would be when he was drafted and he had that really high pedigree. Or do you think what he's doing right now is unsustainable and we should still expect him to be this like forty-ish point guy moving forward? I mean, it's not a big difference, right, between 40-ish point guy and 48-point guys. I'll, I'll kind of split the difference here and say Sergachev looks like a 45-point guy. Looks really similar to last year's 44-point pace in his underlying number. Has an extra secondary assist here or there. Uh, he looks good. He looks like someone you don't have to sort of drop because he goes quiet for a while, which is how he started his career. And now he seems to be steady enough. Before we move on from Tampa... Elon, I just want to marvel at the goal scorers for Tampa today. Are you ready for this? Hit me. Right. So they scored seven goals, right? They beat Philly 7-1. to one. The goal scorers in order. Ryan McDonough, Corey Perry, Taylor Radish, Boris Kachuk, Matthew Joseph, Pat Maroon, and again, Corey Perry on the power play. Isn't that crazy? I mean... It is crazy. And Tampa Bay is like a team that won the cup last year and then lost their whole third line. And maybe there could have been some concern. They don't have depth. Then now they're down Kucherov and Braden Point, probably two of their best players, like outside of Hedman and Stamkos, right? And they're still like having these insane games. Like, I don't know what they're doing. It must be like a coaching system a little bit, or they're just getting lucky with just getting all these good players. Yeah, Corey Perry was playing on a line with Maroon and Pierre-Edouard Bellamere, and he got a couple goals. And now you said he's also been not even on the top power play. I'm seeing Stamkos, Palat, Killor, and Sorelli. And that was one power play for forwards. And then Perry with Maroon and Colts. I don't know. It's whatever he's doing, it's working. And uh, nice to see these random guys on Tampa doing well. And this team is just like, how good are they going to be once everyone's healthy? Because like I said, Kucherov is coming back soon. So yeah, be afraid if you your team is going up against Tampa. Okay, over in Toronto, Mitch Marner was injured in practice on Friday. Didn't play on Saturday versus the Wild. Did he play today? I'm assuming no. Yeah, Spezza played with Bunting and Matthews. Yeah, the big news here is while Marner's out, Jason Spezza's taken over not only uh, Marner's spot on the top line with Matthews and Bunting, but he's also taken his spot on the top power play with Matthews, Nylander, Tavares, and of course uh, Morgan Riley as the quarterback. And Spezza had a really big game on Saturday, right? He had two goals and one assist. No points today, because I mean, he is Jason Spezza. He's not going to get points every single game. Uh, the Leafs did score three goals and he didn't get in on any of them. Uh, what do you think? Obviously, Marner could be back like anytime, but in the meantime, while he's out, like, how quickly should people be rushing to grab Spezza while he's in this amazing role? Like, let's say Spezza or Bunting. Like, because Bunting's been really good lately. I'd go Bunting. But I know you really love You love Jason Spezza, right? I love Jason Spezza, but I would also go Bunting. But I think Spezza is a fun fit on that power play where he got to step in. And yeah, you know I like Spezza overall. Cool guy. Cool hockey player. Nice, like, fun guy to root for. There aren't, like, a, there aren't a ton of those in the NHL, but Jason Spezza has been and continues to be one of them. So way to go, Jason Spezza. Worth a stream in his spot for as long as Marner is out, which may not be that much longer. 
Yeah. Okay. Hopefully not for the Leafs. Well, they lost today, but uh, in general, they're doing really well this year. But maybe that's because of Marner. Okay. So uh, we got four teams left and four healthy teams. Actually, the the major injuries we're done with them now. So Vancouver. Uh, I mean, still not good. Like they're still not a great team. They did win two in a row last week versus Montreal and Ottawa, but those obviously are easier competition. They lost to the Penguins on Saturday. So uh, I don't really want to get to Vancouver. Let's take a break from talking about this disappointing team. Uh, unless, oh, Brian, you want to. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's some breaking news that Vancouver has, uh, it's going to be announced that Vancouver has fired their, like a bunch of their coaching staff and their GM and Bruce Boudreaux is going to come in and coach the team. So I will just say, if you've been holding on to Pedersen or Besser or Miller or any of these struggling Canucks, this is it. This is your moment where, that you've been waiting for, for things to turn around. I don't know if it'll happen right away. I don't know if it'll happen in a couple of weeks. I don't know if it'll happen at all, but I think it will. I trust Bruce Boudreau. I think he's going to get some good stuff out of that team. And Elon, I guess my question for you is if you have Pedersen, would you like try and sell him off now when there's hope? Or would you try and buy low on him? How would you approach this with some optimism in the air around Vancouver for the first time all season. Uh, I mean, it's hard because it depends what I can get. For If I have him, like, I want to get someone really good, right? Like, uh, I'm not going to sell him for peanuts if I've held him this long. But, uh, you know, also new coach doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to, like, turn around completely. It's still the... By the way, I think that JT Miller did a spit take when you, loop, you know, lumped him in with those guys because he's, like, almost a player yeah, for game this year. <laughs> I just started naming Canucks. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, okay, well, wait and see. I don't really want to speculate. Like, let's find out. Uh, ben and Lewis can talk about if there's any big impacts if we see new line combinations this week. That's why we've got them, the best in the biz, to take over and talk about the news from the week and obviously we're going to be interested to see the new li- lines from vancouver though the lines have shaken up a lot it's it's more a matter of now seeing if they can click connor garland by the way has been really good brian i feel like you you told me that i i didn't do so badly trading him for nhs earlier in the year but right now i feel like connor garland has been better but we'll we'll see what happens okay so vegas uh so we already talked about patch stone marsh so all returning on last week's show and in a shocker to nobody <laughs> they've all been great uh william carlson is playing today uh, so basically, we're basically back to full health. We're back to Carlson with Marsha So and Smith, and then Stevenson with Pacioretty and Mark Stone. So look at that. Uh, the Vegas, I'm very excited for them. And by the way, we're still waiting, don't forget, on Jack Eichel to come back at some point. And that's going to be interesting for the Lions. And also then that's going to make this team like a super scary threat. Uh, I'd love to see what they can do against Tampa and Toronto. Those will be some really exciting games. Uh, Alec Martinez, by the way, might come back soon. And, you know, in his absence, like Nicholas Haig has been getting some power play time and has done like decent-ish. Like he has a 36-point pace on the season, kind of like putting up the numbers that I expected from Alec Martinez or maybe a little bit worse. So Haig has been good. Uh, I'm curious to see what Martinez will do because he obviously had that really slow run when he was healthy. And I know we expected him to obviously regress from his great numbers last year. But at the same time, when he was playing, it was like with Pacioretty and Stone out and during a stretch where just Vegas wasn't scoring at all. So I think Alec Martinez... I think I already said this on a show, right? So I'm just saying again, if and when he eventually comes back, I think he'll be like a good guy to grab out of free agency because the team's going to be scoring a lot more goals while he's there. Uh, I'll go to Washington now. Uh, so TJ Oshie and Connor Sherry both returned for the Caps game on Saturday versus Columbus. Neither put up a point, but they both jumped on the top power play with Ovi, Kuznetsov, and John Carlson. They also both played on a line together with Connor McMichael. I'm talking about Sherry and Oshie. Uh, Oshie's like you likely rostered in most of listeners' leagues. Uh, reminder, though, that Connor Sherry was on a nice run before he went down with his increased deployments 
So maybe with him back, he's someone to look at again. Brian, the question I want to ask you about Washington is that we have more good news coming as Nicholas Backstrom was a full participant in Friday's practice. Uh, so he's probably going to be back pretty soon. We've been getting a lot of questions about how Backstrom's return will affect Evgeny Kuznetsov since like Kuznetsov has been so great himself. And he's obviously like he's been good, but he's benefiting from being able to dish to Ovechkin, who's having this like torrid season. He's got 20 goals and 39 points in 25 games. Like no one expected this from Ovi, maybe like point per game and like 50 goals, but nothing like this. So he's been insane and Kuznetsov has benefited and helped. So yeah, with like Backstrom back, do we have to be afraid that Backstrom bumps Kuznetsov from that spot and that's going to like kill the amazing season he's been having? Or is it going to be the kind of thing where no, like Ovi and Kuznetsov are doing so well this year. Why would the coaching staff like mess with that? Why not just put Backstrom to play with Oshi or whoever? So what do you think? Should we be like nervous about Kuznetsov or just tell people like, don't even worry about it. He'll be fine. And maybe be more nervous about Backstrom who's maybe lost his chance to center Ovechkin at even strength. Right. So you should definitely be a little nervous because Backstrom returning to the lineup means that there could be some kind of shaking up of uh of, of the depth chart where kuznetsov has been having success but elon i'm about to blow your mind like you talked about how successful kuznetsov has been in ovi's monster season how they're working together only four of kuznetsov's nine assists at five on five have been on ovechkin goals and on the power play uh, kuznetsov hasn't even assisted on an ovechkin goal overall kuznetsov has seven assists on alex ovechkin goals which is a, a much lower proportion than I was expecting to find for Kuznetsov assist totals. He has 20 assists, only seven of them. I mean, only seven, still sizable, but he's not relying completely on Ovechkin. And what Kuznetsov is doing looks pretty sustainable too. But of course, everything changes if he's moved off of Ovechkin's line, ends up in a different power play role. Like, of course, it's good to play with Ovechkin, but to Kuznetsov's credit, he's been setting up everyone on the ice with him, not only Ovechkin. And so if you have Kuznetsov, I think you treat him actually similarly to Sam Reinhardt, managers like if you're uneasy now maybe it's a good time to consider selling to mitigate the risk that he does get bumped uh like kuznetsov could very well stay where he's been succeeding this year and keep reaping the benefits and things could go really well but if you don't want to wait and find out then you could consider selling high so if i had kuznetsov now i would be kicking some tires just to see what happens but i also would be okay to wait and see how it plays out yeah, I've got him in a couple of leagues. I don't have the energy to start like kicking tires and trying to figure out what's even a good a return. Because you can also, you need something really good back, right? So then, I don't know. Like, I would just hold on and hope for the best. It's been so successful so far. So we'll wait and see if I end up regretting it uh, sometime down the line. And then finally, we end up in Winnipeg, a fully healthy team as well. They've won two of their last three that was going into today. And they just beat Toronto. Or no, there's still a whole period left. But they're currently winning 5-3. to three. Blake Wheeler, by the way, two assists today. And he had another couple of good games. So all these people who held on to Blake Wheeler, finally reaping some of the rewards. Uh, obviously when you play with Shifley and Connor at even strength and, you know, also on the power play, like you're going to be successful. So even if Wheeler has, you know, fallen a step, we said that he was even like, and I'm not saying he's not doing anything, but even like a player who did lose a lot of his skill would still be getting points in this situation. Right now he is. So good for him. Uh, Brian, that's it. We've made it through all 32 NHL teams. We've talked about all of their injuries. I hope people have enjoyed this show. And hopefully we didn't make you too depressed by discussing the uh, IRs. You know, the one positive is all these people heard and out of the lineup. Uh, Like Brian said, it opens the door for new people to come in. And also, 
it like they'll be back soon and then we could get all excited as these players return hopefully these illnesses happening and i don't know who am i kidding there's going to be new injuries every single week but uh hopefully people enjoyed our run through the league if you like the show we'd love to hear from you tweeted us at keeping carlson with any feedback you could also ask us advice questions if you want to become a patron of keeping carlson we'd love to get you on board uh, for the holidays i don't really know what that has to do with it but that's something that people say i guess on podcasts around this time so you want to give us a holiday present support the show become a patron and we're going to give you a lot back in return because you'll get to join our awesome community over on discord and also our other perks which you can read all about at keepingcarlson.com slash patron but with that brian let's cue the outro music and you can go ahead and read us the credits all right and as this outro music plays feel free to like get out of your cars and start walking down the highway like it's a reference to the rem video uh, for the song after which this episode is named okay this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dabra hockey and powered by our patrons including our super supporters patty rob david derek tom andrea christopher and flash thanks to couple coordinator kevin Iber and our team of co-commissions thanks shams ben Amore, for uh keeping the amazing fantasy stream of news rolling on at game day lines at game day news nhl and at game day goalies on twitter logo art by brandonweeb.com outro music by pat roach this episode was researched with help from dauber hockey frozen tools natural stat trick evolving hockey cap friendly the athletic victor nuno at fantasy hockey life hockey reference hockey biz hockey database elite prospects nbc sports edge and yahoo great job as always brian this was so fun looking forward to doing this all again with you next week and in the meantime looking forward to hearing ben and lewis on the short shifts uh, by the way check out dave Betton's stream scheme which just dropped earlier today what a blast we're having here at keeping carlson and uh, also in the meantime do everything you can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone